son. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, fashion us, fuck him. <laughs> You know what, brother? That never gets old. It really doesn't. 265 Police Live, brought to you by New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. I'm Eric Tim, former lieutenant, NYPD. Coined is the most complained cop. Along with me is the founder and co-host of New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast, John McCarry, retired lieutenant due to the forced vaccine mandate, NYPD. What's up, my brother? What's going on? Uh, unemployed lieutenant. Unemployed lieutenant. I want to be called. <laughs> Until my pension kicks in next year, I'm going to go with unemployed lieutenant. Also, okay, so let's get that correct. So you're not <laughs> former lieutenant, you're unemployed lieutenant. I'll be retired in a year. So right now I'm an unemployed lieutenant. That's awesome. It's like when I left the Marine Corps, they would always say, you know, there's no ex-Marines, only former Marines. But I guess <laughs> with this, <laughs> this case, it doesn't necessarily apply to you. So uh, listen, we got a hell of a week. It's uh, Unfortunately, it's just uh, it's been a real tough week for the NYPD. I mean, it's been... The past couple of years have been extremely tough, and it's unfortunate. It's become an embarrassment. But the video that we just saw, and I'm sure most people have seen it, it's an incident with two police officers on the subway, and obviously they're in a, a confrontational violence struggle where they're beyond the scope of the escalation, and I'm sure we'll hear that from some you know, crazy anti-leftist, uh, anti-police advocates. This is beyond the escalation. The police officers have made the determination to make an arrest, they're in a tussle, and what's sad about this tussle is you can see that the police officers are using kick gloves, and what I mean by kick gloves is they're not committed to it. They're not meeting violence with, with violence. They look unsure, they look confused, no one knows what the mission is. And eventually, the perpetrator, this adversary, gets loose from the grasp of the police officer, and they just let him go, and they don't pursue him anymore. And it stops. That's where the video stops. And this is probably the most prolific video I've ever seen. And we're not hearing too much talk about this one or too much scuttle. But, but John, I'm honestly, I think this is by far the most egregious video I've ever seen. And if we dissect this, which we should, and explain this to the public, there are so many components and so many layers to peel back. And there's so much to unpack in this video. And all the legislative bodies and the politicians, the optics, the oversight, Hiring of meek, timid, and docile police officers, lack of training, has led to this video. I think this video is climatic and actually spells out. And it's the 100%, it's not just perception, it's the reality of what's going on with policing and how it's affecting public safety. And that, to me, correlates with the bail reform. They might as well just let him go loose, loose from their grasp. Because if they would have apprehended him, they get the liability. And he's going to get out on the bail reform anyway. What are your thoughts, brother? Yeah, so today's May 3rd. The video comes out. Um, I forget who posts it. Like, we are New York. Oh, I'm so 718 and Instagram handle. I'm so 718. <laughs> so I reposted, I reposted the video. Um, I said on the video, I said, and you see, you see on the video. And I, I don't think that this is, I, I don't agree with you that that this is the most prolific one. I really do think. I've seen 30 similar videos in this past year where they're, they're doing pity pat with people. You know what I mean? They don't want to grab people by the neck. You clearly see in the video 
one of the cops go to do a seatbelt hold on him, just almost like a, a headlock or, or come around the guy's shoulder to bring him down, which is the most effective way to take someone to the ground as you're sweeping their leg. Um, and he instantly realizes what he's doing, and he goes and puts his arms around the, the guy's waist where his bare ass is because the guy's pants are falling. He's got no shoes on. He's erratic. Again, they're on a train station platform. I, and I, we've spoke about this before, but when you're on a train station platform and you're fighting with someone, chances of you, that person, and some innocent bystander getting killed are through the roof. I mean, death is imminent at this point. The train conductor does not know those trains come in very fast. Um, you easily, someone could go flying backwards off the back of, onto the tracks in front of a train. You know, God forbid that didn't happen here. But you see them struggling to get this uh, individual down to the ground. I do believe they're, they're two big dudes. They're not small cops. Um, they're actually both bigger than him. He does appear to be either drug-induced or mentally ill. But we have so many things at play there. So I posted the video, and I said, go ahead. Knock the cops all you want. But what you are seeing is a product of the diaphragm law, NYPD news training, weak management, an overzealous CCRB and weak union representation. The actions of these individual officers are a product of that. I 100% agree with you on that. But let, let me just circle back and explain why I think this is the most prolific. Now, what I mean by that, I'm not saying that this is the video that went viral and got the most attention. But to me personally, I think this is the most prolific. Why? Because we've seen, we've seen you're right, we've seen probably 30 more than 30 videos. In the past couple of years, we've seen so many videos where the police officers are just completely docile. It's almost like when you see germaphobes and they're afraid to touch someone, that's the way they treat them. Because let's just, let's kind of touch him, but let's not be too committed to it in, in hopes that this person will actually surrender because they don't want to be committed to violence because they have to worry about optics and all the other things that you posed as problematic issues of oversight that you put on that post. But the reason why I say it's prolific, what we saw in the end I don't think we've seen on in too many videos where they actually just let him from their grasps and they don't continue to pursue him anymore. At that point, it went through their mind. You know what? It's just not worth it anymore. It's amazing what it is to be an NYPD police officer that while you're in a violent struggle, that the, the mindset is not meeting the violence with violence. The mindset is how am I going to look on camera? How am I going to be perceived? by the Civilian Complaint Review Board. How am I going to be perceived by internal affairs? Risk management is going to watch my body camera. How are they going to critique my actions? I'm going to have to fill out a TRI. What type of force am I going to document that I applied? There's so much oversight and so much critique. And then, again, what you said is 100% right. I have the diaphragm law, which hasn't been utilized yet, but it's still on the table, and I don't trust that they'll never use it. It's still there. And it's still the opportunity is there. It just hasn't been met yet. But one of these five borough DAs to charge a police officer with the diaphragm law. The diaphragm law is a law that exists and hasn't gone away. And the cops have to understand that. And with that is the last thing, which I think is the most important thing that most of our cops have not read yet and affects them, is the disciplinary matrix. Because all this oversight could be used as aggravating factors to, to be weaponized to seek termination to a police officer based on a video that can emanate all the stuff to be politically charged to have a police officer terminated 
I think it's sad watching these videos. I agree with you. Those were two police officers. They're, they're, they're big in size, the totality of the circumstances. I think if those police officers were not in uniform and they were not police officers and they didn't have to worry about all this crazy oversight, they would have no problem taking that, that, uh, taking that perpetrator down to the ground. He looked kind of malnourished to me. He didn't look like he was a, a strapping young man. They would have had no problem. But unfortunately, they're now in uniform and they have so much liability. And this liability, not only has it mentally weakened them, it's physically weakened them. They cannot do the job. That's the bottom answer. And that's the bottom line. No, I agree. I agree. Um, but when they get to that stair, when they get to the stairwell, right? And I don't even want to say they because one guy solo, the one guy who's been trying to take him to the ground the <laughs> whole time at that point when they're at the stairs now, that's another death is imminent situation. He does not have control of that guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pulling him and his partner. I have no idea what his partner was actually doing. I really don't know what his partner was doing. He like kind of just stepped off to the side. He wasn't helping him. They could have both went down the stairs. Um, so he let go and then they go down after him. So they kind of didn't let him go. I, and in that situation, if you were overpowering me and we were on the stairs, I will let you go too. I will. I, and I'll, 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 we'll, we'll fight this again when we're not on this, this elevator platform, you know? Um, so we didn't see the end of the video. So like, I, I don't want to really make a judgment on that, but 100% that is playing in their mind and the diaphragm loss playing in their mind. And it should, it should every, you know, I, I got all these lefties now attacking me and he, and even cops and even some unnamed people that shall not be named um, coming on. No one ever used a diaphragm law. Listen, they drafted it for a reason. We also <laughs> saw we also saw a Marine dealing with a mentally ill person, right? Put the mentally ill person in a chokehold. Did did that chokehold cause the death of the mentally ill person? We don't know, but it is going to be considered a homicide because there was a physical altercation, right? And what's the toxicology on that, right? Now let's that, let's just take it to this scenario. This guy is in a, it appears to be in a uh, some type of psychosis, whether it's drug induced or whether he's just mentally ill. He's in a, he's 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 having a he's in a mental psychosis. You're on a train platform. You can't utilize your mace there because you're going to mace your partner. You're going to mace all the people around. You can't you can't dart him on, with, with using the taser because you're, you're too close to him. So you'd have to dry stun him for, for just uh, compliance. But let's say you get him on the ground and you roll around with him. And he dies. He dies. Whether it was drugs in the system, whether he has a heart attack, that diaphragm law is going to come into play. And you're going to get charged with it. I mean, and I don't want to hear nothing from anybody. If we're taking mm -hmm. Alvin Bragg and Darcel Clark and Melissa Katz and we're taking all these people's word, oh, we're not going to charge it. We just want that law just in case. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not taking that chance. I'm not mm -hmm. taking that chance. These guys aren't taking the chance. And the training that they have isn't taking the chance, right? Because the training is you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And I followed it up in that video. I followed it up with uh, Raina Gracie's uh, where he where he, he's actually uh, advocating against the bail reform. You know, he's a, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu martial artist and expert. You know, he comes from the Gracie family. And, you know, he, he breaks it down. If any of you guys got a chance to go on my social media, either my Instagram or my Twitter from today, May 3rd, it'll be on there, him speaking about it and all the things you can't do. But we don't tell – we didn't give these kids what they can do. We didn't tell them what they can do. 
Because guess what? You have discretion, like we spoke about. You have discretion now, meaning you have all the liability. We don't know what to tell you. You're a hero. If you die, you're going to be a hero. But if, if this goes bad, you know, we're not going to be a family anymore. You know, we're going to, you have discretion. We didn't, we didn't okay that. Uh, let me tell you, I, I love the stuff that Henna Gracie has been saying. And I think he's really positioned himself to be the ambassador for police departments throughout the country in utilizing jiu-jitsu as the most appropriate tactic in confrontational situations for police. And, and the reason why I say that is jiu-jitsu, what the term Brazilian jiu-jitsu, what jiu-jitsu actually means is the gentle art. Now, I'll be honest with you, I train jiu-jitsu myself. When you're actually training hard, there's really nothing gentle about it. it you know. But for police purposes, utilizing jiu-jitsu is by far, I think, the most elite martial art there is to hold people and, and gain compliance and get them in custody with causing the least amount. When I say the least amount of damage, anytime you're in a confrontation, let me just backtrack and circle back real quick. I want the public to understand. Anytime that a police officer makes a determination that someone is going to be placed on the rest. We met the parameters for probable cause. When that adversary, that person of interest, that subject, makes the decision to resist arrest, they now elicit a response from the police department. Anytime a police officer takes action, there is potential for damage. It is impossible to take a violent confrontation, a violent perpetrator, in custody and and have no damage at all. It's it's ultimately impossible if they're going to resist and there's going to be a confrontation. But I do believe that jujitsu training itself can minimize that. But what the diaphragm law does, it eliminates it eliminates that martial art because the premise of jujitsu is to use the center of someone's body, to use their spine, their their the components of their body allows them to be controlled. One of the hardest things there is to do, and this is what people don't understand about policing, one of the hardest things to do in this world is to control another human being. And most of us out there have kids. And even if you try to control a five-year-old or a six-year-old, it's very hard to control them without causing injury or pain. And that's the beauty of jujitsu is that you learn tactics of how to control someone by putting their spine in a certain position, their elbows, their arms, right? The, ultimately, the objective of jiu-jitsu is to use 100% of your body against 20% or 30% of someone else's body to hold them in, in a position that they can't move. And that's what that's the, the beauty of it is that police officers do not have the option to choose the size of their adversary. So if we have a police officer that is outsized by an adversary, they can get them in custody because they're using 100% of their body against 20% of theirs, holding an arm and, uh, and, and an elbow, a position which is called a kimura or an arm lock. And unfortunately, most of the country is anti-choke, anti for a police officer to put anywhere with the windpipe. But with proper training, I'm a firm believer that it can be an effective tool. And there's least amount of damage than, than hitting someone with strikes, using a taser where they can fall if they're on an elevated surface, damage can be created or having to use a baton or even use a pepper spray. So without jujitsu tactics, we are now forced 
to be in a position to use blunt objects. And it's actually more violent than 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 uh, the jujitsu tactics to hold someone down and not have to throw strikes and get them in custody by being uncomfortable, but not being in pain and not causing injury. So it definitely minimizes that. And again, I said minimize because there's always potential for damage and potential for injury. Anytime someone puts themselves at risk by resisting arrest, they're eliciting a response and they're putting themselves in danger. It's not a UFC match. We don't have mats and cushion. There's curbs. There's there's poles. There's sharp objects in the street that you have to be mindful of. Anytime someone resists arrest, they're putting themselves in complete danger and they put the police officers at risk as well. So to these anti-police advocates out there that say de-escalate. Sometimes de-escalation is getting someone into handcuffs as soon as possible to alleviate these potential confrontations that we could sense will be violent because of our experience. And and ultimately, it's sad what we're watching. And I don't knock these two police officers that were in the subway. I really don't. I just think it's sad. I watch, I can see in their faces that they're just confused. They don't know what the mission is. They don't know what the purpose is. They don't know how far they should, be, should, they should be committed to it. And ultimately, when you make an arrest, it should be that the commitment is, I have to get this person into custody, no matter what it takes, within reason, within the law, but we have to meet violence with violence. The problem is, is this is, again, a politically created crisis. What we see on tape over and over again, what we've seen since we started doing this podcast uh, and, and it's not even been a year, right? We've been, I don't know. We've been doing six months, seven months. I mean, we've seen so many videos like this. This is politically created. This is a direct result of politics. It's a direct result of po politics plays such an important role in policing. It's not even funny at this point in New York City. The whole thing, right? If, if politics wasn't there, that gentleman would have never even been on the train platform. He would have probably been, he, he would have either been in jail he would have been at a mental institution. He wouldn't have been on the platform that day because we would have told him to get out because he would have had to pay his fare because I'm sure he also evaded his fare. There's so many different reasons why politics come into play. So, you know, and, 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 you know, I harp on the politics. I harp on the donations. I harp on who our unions support. You know, I do. I do. And then I follow up on all that stuff with, with, with the Gracie video with, you know, I, I actually put the diaphragm law out there and I and I say who sponsored the diaphragm law and people's names just pop off the page to me right away. Justin Brannon. Um, I could read a couple for you right off the page. Justin <laughs> Brannon, Adrian Adams, Richie Torres, uh, Rafael Salamonica, bunch of Keith Powers. And this is just going off the top of my head. And you know what they all have in common? And, I'm, and there's a lot more, by the way. You know what they all have? The PBA gave them up. I mean, these people drafted legislation that they don't even understand the basics of fighting. There's absolutely no way to take a resisting perpetrator into custody without violating this law. And, you know, we like, like Eric pointed out, would Chief Monaghan tell you? You can't be afraid. The DA said they're not going to charge it. No, that's not that's not good. This law is on the, <laughs> this law is on the books, and the people that wrote this law are your union representation, right? They're your union representation, 
And, you know, today, what did we see today? We seen uh, Kathy Holchel out of nowhere after I put this tweet out, it gets like 50,000 views in like minutes. Um, what do we see today? We see today that PBA is running around with their, with their uh, billboard truck. And they're saying, what members of city council want to defund the police? I mean, I, I could make I could help you guys out with that billboard truck. The only problem is, is it's going to be a lot of those people are going to be people you donated to. Um, so I would kind of just stay away from that area. Um, and the other thing, oh, that's great. Kathy Holchul said tier three today, just miraculously. It was just a miracle again today. We settled the contract a, a month before the election. Miracle. You know, right, miracle again. And now we have another miracle today. Kathy Holchul said tier three could take pension loans. Um, which is good, but it was a zero net cost bill, meaning it doesn't cost them anything because it's your money. Um, and she vetoed it after we gave her those donations, right? We gave her the money and she vetoed that bill, said, oh, it needs to be part of a larger budget. What was that larger budget that happened today? I'm not aware of it. Is anybody aware of it? No, we don't, we don't know what happened today. I don't know. That happened today. I tweeted about it. That happened today. I'm not sure what else happened today that we decided that all of a sudden this net cost benefit that you guys are allowed to now, um, you guys are allowed to now take pension loans, which is essentially the money you put in. Why did that just come to fruition today? I don't know. But, uh, you know, I could put on my tinfoil half of that one. And uh, I don't know. But but Eric, what, 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 do you, what are your thoughts on, on the PBA donating to anti-police politicians well first of all you know 100 you and i always talk about this i do not believe in coincidence there's no coincidence that you and i have been exposing the lies of the the new york city pba the money that's been donated off dues that are financed from new york city cops from their salary the dues that are financed have been utilized for campaigns for politicians that have a complete anti-rhetoric and anti-sediment of New York City police. I think it's a complete betrayal. It's it's just it's an undermining of, of, of the New York City police officers. I think that they're just slapping them right in the face. I think they are saying to the police officers, you are feeble-minded and you don't even understand what's going on. And we can do this right underneath you and you won't even notice. And we're using your money to do it. And the question is this. This is the question I have. It's amazing how we've exposed. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say that everything was wrong, but we exposed weaknesses of the New York City PBA that have attributed to these five and six year long, uh, long awaited contracts over a tenure of Pat Lynch's administration. And and what what we have noticed through this is that, again, I don't believe in coincidence, but this contract came out. When Pat Lynch is stepping down, the question now has the question now has has come up numerous times: Is Pat Lynch getting a job with uh, Kathy Holchel? We've heard through the PBA that that's not true, but yet, John, you put out some substantial tweets today, and miraculously, the tier three pension loan is now is now an opportunity that these cops can take. And what did we hear before? After the PBA had donated a substantial amount of money to her campaign. The vetoes, the bills that went through were vetoed, and one was on the table was exactly that, the tier three pension loans. And back then she said that it was not in the budget. 
But now we're in the financial crisis that we see in New York City has gotten even worse. I even read it in the paper the other day. There was an article about how the city is suffering because the, the mass exodus, not just from the job, but the mass exodus from the entire city, that all these businesses are leaving New York City. I mean, we're getting droves of people, residents, and droves of businesses that are leaving New York City due to the high tax rates. So some of these, I mean, we I hear uh, all the time, Mr. Wonderful from, from Shark Tank, he talks about it all the time. These businesses are relocating to places like Oklahoma, South Dakota, tax-friendly states. And because of COVID, they can operate remote. They can have employees from out the entire country, and it's just much more lucrative for these businesses. I think that the PBA has, has done a complete betrayal to the cops. I'd like to get a better understanding. How is a pilot program of a modern chart part of a contract? I don't understand how we can have a pilot program part of a contract. The question I ask is, well, if this contract, if if it's in a contract, the pilot program, and we find that the 12-hour tours is not conducive and it's not working, it's not better for the quality of life for the cops, or if we find that it doesn't work for the police department with this mass exodus and actually helping out public safety, who makes the decision if this pilot program is going to be just a trial for 30 days, 60 days, or stop it completely? We haven't heard any of that information. What we do know is what's factual and what we see what's on paper. And John and I know this, and it's something that you learn in the police department. If it's not on paper, it didn't happen. And what is on paper? You can just look up, follow the money. It's on paper who the New York City PBA has financed. And, John, who are they financed? They financed leftist anti-cop haters. The same people that they put on trucks today saying that these people defund the police, they're giving money to under the table. John, how does that make you feel? Because, honestly, that completely upsets me. And, listen, you're an unemployed lieutenant. I'm a former lieutenant. And people ask, why do we care? We do care because I supervised, and so did John. We supervised the best men and women, and we cared about them. That's why we were effective supervisors, because we cared about them. And that's why we're not on the job. We're not on the job anymore because we care. We weren't going to pander and put our heads and put our balls between our, our legs and do nothing. That's why we're not on the job anymore, because we stand for moral principle, and we're still going to fight for these cops. Why aren't you? Why is it the New York City PBA not fighting for these cops? Why are they giving their money? The people that are completely against them. How are we funding the enemy? Does that make any sense? And coincidentally, John, you put out this amazing tweet, and now there's enough money in the budget that they can take pendulums. It looks like the PBA has great leverage with Cavi Holchel. That's what I can say. I, I think, I think, and I think we need to back up a little too, because I think what people don't understand is the impact. You know, I, I kind of brush off the delegates too. But I don't think, uh, but like, I don't think we understand the impact of having 400 or whatever the amount of guys is that are completely afraid and completely compliant and will not ask the upper echelon of their union. They're there to represent you. You elected them to represent you. And they're afraid and intimidated of these people in, in, in the top five positions to ask a question, to push back, you know, someone shared a, a, a tape with me. It was a recorded tape of, of a meeting in December, right before a Christmas party, where the PBA voted to change the bylaws. They voted to change the bylaws so that they could give up to 5% or something like that of your money, but more money towards political donations. And they said they need this to get the bills. 
and they did what's called a standing count. So there were other people in the room that weren't delegates. So they said, oh, if you are not a delegate, just sit down. Um, I heard through the tape one person voice their concern. They asked for a roll call vote. I heard the top two go absolutely insane because they asked for an actual vote instead of just standing and eye count. Um, anyway, that's either here, neither here nor there. But a standing count is bull crap that doesn't exist. There should not happen. Every vote that happens for anything in any organization should be a roll call vote where it's it's confirmed that that is the accurate number. But I guess in this case, you really didn't need to because they were outnumbered. There were seven guys. There were seven guys and girls who said no. They voted no to to uh, they voted no. They said no. We're not gonna when when we don't want to increase the the budget and. Uh, what did we hear from the top guy? We hear, take their picture, remember their names, they're traitors. Very telltale, very, very telltale. Because right after that, what happens? Right after we increase the budget, what happens? Boom, Kathy Holchel gets her money, right? And I don't, I don't think we could go that. And two of those guys are running for transit trustee, Franklin Valdez and Derek Andrews. Two of those guys that said no, two of them. The other guys were targeted, harassed. Most of them are not even in the union. I think only one still stands in the union um, out, of, out of that seven. Uh, but this is this is a culture of, of intimidation. It's a culture of bullying. Uh, and these guys aren't asking you questions. And honestly, if I'm in my command right now and I hear this, I'm asking my delegate, how did you vote? How did you vote to add more money? to our political donations, to use our money. How did you vote on that bill? And I'll tell you right now, if he told me he voted to do it, I 100% would seek, or I, I would seek to overthrow them at that point. I, I think at this point, there's, there's about 400 people that are delegates in the NYPD that should, that should be, that we need people to, to, mm -hmm. in there, to ask questions, to push back at this in, insanity of giving anti-police people our money, your money. Right. And what do I care? I'm a lieutenant. I live in Florida. Right. What do I care? What do I care? Because if I, we didn't do that, Lee Zeldin would have been in. Lee Zeldin would have been in. And guess what? I would have been back at work. Maybe Eric would have been back at work. Maybe thousands of other guys would have been back at work. Right. But no. Instead, we have this maniac in office who's making your job harder. Oh, she signed a, a net cost bill. It meant nothing. She should have never vetoed it in the first place. Why can't you take a loan on your own money? That was it's a it's a it's a it's a no deal. But at the same time, she's supporting bail reform. She's letting cop killers out. She's she wants to vaccinate your kids that don't need it. Little kids. She wants them vaccinated. She's trying to do a vax mandate on school. She wanted you fired. Crazy woman. She made one slight reform to bail reform today, and everyone's jumping up and down. She's the best. She's the best. Bottom line is this: when I say the union. I mean, everybody in it. I'm calling everybody out. You guys failed. You're the largest. You're the largest police union in the nation, in the country. You failed us. You failed us. Look at those guys in D.C. That's a union. You're not one. The delegates, you're pathetic. You don't even ask a question, probably because you don't understand it and you don't even want to understand it because you're just there for this. You're not there for nothing else. You're not there for nobody else. You're there for a number one. That's why we care. So we're not shutting down this podcast. And guess what? 
all the attacks stopped this week. Why? Because I sent out one little donation that you made. I have hundreds. So keep it. Keep it. Keep play nice with us. Don't 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 send threats anymore. It was kind of fun though. <laughs> I gotta admit, I I, I was it Greasy Groove and a couple of these other Elton Johnson sixty four. Oh, it's pretty funny. I tell you the attacks that we're getting. But every time an attack comes out, just remind them. It's it's, it's pretty easy to to remind them. Maybe <laughs> maybe you can slap them in the face with another name. It's quite it's 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 quite substantial the amount of money that's been donated to these anti cop politicians. It's it's really sad, you know. Uh, there's 51 New York City Council members. 51. Keep that in mind to, to the cops out there. 51. And, and you, listen, their names are public. If you like, you could just go go to follow the money, and you could actually see the politicians that they donated to. There's 51, and I can tell you right now, there's six of them that are Republican and supposedly conservative. But as far as I'm concerned, and, and John, I know you agree, all 51 are anti-police. Not one of them has done something substantial that is in favor of the police and actually makes your job better, that would actually attribute to public safety. So are they really concerned about their residents? Are they concerned about public safety? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the other day there was even, I saw some, you know, there was an article about, about where we're going to put rookie police officers, right? And they're concerned that we're going to put rookie police officers and about putting them in high crime areas. It makes sense to put rookie rookie police officers in high crime areas. Why do we put rookie police officers in high crime areas? One, they're young on the job. They're full of enthusiasm. And it's a great opportunity for them to learn the job. It's about survival. That's what it was when John and I first got on this job and they had Operation Impact. You flood the high crime areas. All right. That's the idea. The idea is to curb crime and also displace it. So that the anti-crime teams, the cops out there doing intrusive police work, can pick off the perpetrators as they leave these areas that are flooded with, with cops. The young police officers that are enthusiastic, you're out there learning the job. How do you learn? By survival. And we also were out there with some senior police officers that were overseeing us and guiding us through. And that's how we create toughness, grit. We, we learn to become warriors and effective cops. But calling cops and giving them a soft environment and putting them in a car right away. With, with senior police officers, not motivated senior police officers. In most cases, we see that they are put with police officers that most of them, honestly, can be compared with the, uh, what is it, the, the 12 that were anti-quota. Uh, anti they don't want to do the job. That's the problem. So they're put with police officers that already exhibit laziness, exhibit incompetence, and this is what they're learning as new police officers. So immediately, from the gate, when they get out of the police Police, uh, police academy, they're meek and they're timid and they're docile as well because that's what they're learning. Our police officers, they have to have that worry spirit. They have to be ready to meet violence with violence. They need to, they need to arrest that strap hanger on the subway. They need to complete the mission, but they need to know what their mission is and they need to know what their purpose is. And this has to be clear from the weak leadership that that we see in the New York City Police Department. Which we completely lack the leadership. And that's what's said. Right now, the rank and file, they have no idea what the vision is or what the mission is. And they're completely unsure. And what I can say about the New York City PBA, I think that vote is a complete sham. A stand-in vote, John, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't even count. Why? Because that's like a dictatorship. Pat Lynch gets to watch you vote. And if you don't vote in his alliance, if it's not Pat's way, then you're out. Guess what? 
these these police officers are not going to stand on moral principle, except for a select few like Franklin, <laughs> Franklin Valdez, and Derek Andrews. Why? Because you'll be on an island by yourself, and you're going to lose your appearances, and you're back to patrol, and you're wearing your gun belt. And these delegates throughout the city, they're not going to push the envelope. In order for them to move up within the organization of the New York City PBA, become a trustee, right, to become a director, they have to fall in line. That's the bottom line. Bottom line, just like the executives of, of our job. They have to fall in line. And if they push the envelope and if they vote no, they'll never become a trustee. They'll never become a director. Their career of climbing the ladder within the New York City PBA is completely done and shut out. And Pat Lynch will make sure of it. Yeah, that's what that's exactly why. Like some of the trustees, they're nice guys. They're not good men. They're not good leaders. They're nice <laughs> guys. Because they know they'll get their appearances pulled. And what happens if you get your appearance pulled? You gotta go back. You gotta go back to patrol, you know. And you know, guilty party in, in all of this and raising the funds. And and you know, and I do believe that the reason that that there, there was so much vitriol against the guys that voted no is because they, they needed 100% compliance. Needed 100% compliance because when somebody that has eyes and that thinks about what they did and starts to say it, I didn't do it. The committee did it. The committee did it. The guy who worked for me, Patrick Hendry, he did it. It was all those guys. Everybody wanted to do it. It wasn't just me. It wasn't me. It was everybody. It was all these guys. It was all 400 of them. So that's why they were looking for the overall compliance on that. You know, and it's it's really it's it's public public safety has become a grift. You know, it's all about a number one. And so has police representation. It's become a grift. It's about a number one. And I mean, me and Eric said it, you know, right now, right now, tell all those guys in the PBA, the trustees, the president, the vice president, the treasurer, everybody, Pat Hendry, Corey Grable, tell them all you got to go back out on patrol. Where are you going to see them, Eric? <laughs> Listen, I tell you right now, if they told those PBA, they told the PBA board as we speak, hey, listen, if you guys really care about your members, go out and wear the gun belt for three days a week for the next six months, and we'll pass every bill that's on the table, everything that you asked for. Do you think they'll do it? Do, honestly, John, do you think they would do it? They would go I, to the pension section, or they'd say, no, we're good. You don't need to pass those bills. I can tell you right now. I, that's why I want to ask the cops right now, for the cops that are listening, right? Usually, we talk to we talk to all bases, right? We talk to the cops. We talk to families. But right now, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the cops specifically. And I don't mean to insult you, but I think most of the cops suffer from the Stockholm Syndrome. I think Pat Lynch could walk into the precinct and take $20 out of everybody's pocket and leave. Everybody's like, oh, he had to do it, you know? The PBA needs the money. Somehow, they always find a way to solidify Pat Lynch's decision. But what I can tell you, it, I, 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 I can tell you this. You know, it's just, it's it's an, an abomination. It, it really is. It's it, it's sad. It's sad to the cops the way that you're being treated. You have to ask yourself, how 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 is this union functioning in this way? None of the delegates, none of these young delegates that are Tier 3 can even penetrate this unit at all. These... These this unit is completely antiquated. It's completely outdated. I mean, the, listen, the vice president himself is running, or the potential vice president, Danny Danny Torelli, who's going to age out in one year. He cannot relate to the. I'm sorry, he he cannot relate to the modern cop. He's never wore a body camera. I've said this before. 
but he can't relate to the he's never wore a body camera. And that's the game changer. That's changed policing for the entire country. He's never had to distribute a a, a business card. I mean, let, let's talk real. I'm talking to you right now, the cops. Just think about this. He never had to hand out a business card. He did he never had to fill out a TRI. He never had to worry about the optics. I don't even think he ever had to police with a personal cell phone. And now you not only do you have a personal cell phone, you have a job phone. There are you have so much more to unpack than he does, than the other union reps, part of this PBA board, than you than you have. They cannot compare to you. Their job, it's the same patch, but it's a completely different job. So how are they standing up for you? We need some young delegates who are tier three, who are enthusiastic to understand modern era, that are savvy with social media. Like they come from a different time, the technological area. These guys cannot relate. And I'm not saying that we we shouldn't have some old timers in there. We should. We need some old timers to groom some of these guys. But it's it's it, we can't even penetrate this union board because they keep it locked tight and they want it a certain way. They want it a certain way so they can get everything passed. Why? Again, I, I tell you, this is unparalleled. I really believe this, John, with the executives of the NYPD. These these cops. These PBA reps, these board members, they're going to retire and they're going to set the pathway for their sons, for their daughters. I mean, we see with Pat Lynch, I'm sure his son is going to be a rising star within the union. And that's what it's all about. And they're also, it's about self-preservation, lining up their next career move. I, listen, I'm not a betting man. But if I was a betting man and if I had to bet today, I would say that Pat Lynch is going to work for Kathy Hochul. I, I don't listen. We don't have confirmation on it, but if I had to roll the dice, that's the way I'd roll it right now. So for the cops out there, you have to ask yourself: How do my delegates represent me if they're afraid to lose their appearances? The trustees, the board members, how can they properly represent you if they're afraid to lose their appearances if they vote against Pat Lynch? Think about that. And what's going to happen right now, Pat Hendry? Or anyone else that gets in, except for Franklin Valdez and Derek Andrews, it's going to be the same exact thing, and you're going to have another six years without the without a contract. And the discipline matrix is not going to be explored, explored, and the CCRB is going to get even more dangerous than they are right now, and you will see more cops being terminated. I'm telling you right now, I'm foreshadowing the future. Do not let it happen to you. Yeah, so they're out today. They're out today. Trucks out there. We're going against city council, the leftists, same people that we gave money to, that maybe we'll go after the, 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 the anti-police people in the state assembly and the Senate, same people we donated to. Maybe we'll even go after the governor. I doubt it. But if we do, it'll be a little, it'll be something just to make it look good. Um, I'm looking at the Hendry campaign right now, and I'm going to be bluntly honest. It's very, very eerily similar to Joe Biden. Won't speak, won't come on this podcast, right? No, no, I don't need all the media. I don't want all the cops to listen. I don't want to go where all the cops are listening. I don't I don't want to go on that show. I don't want to go on that show. I'm going to go to the roll calls instead. Doesn't come on here. Won't debate, right? I'm going to go to the roll calls instead. I'm not going to debate him. So it's a Joe Biden platform. And just like this country is being ran by Barack Obama right now, 
the PBI he wins is going to be run by Pat Lynch and your money is going to continue to go to the Democratic Party to oversee it because they're all a bunch of leftist libs. And that's just the bottom line. And the people that are representing you, your delegates that think they're wearing their Trump stuff and they think they're these right wing guys, they're really not because they're too dumb to see what's going on. Your money is going to the fund the Democratic Party. It's going to fund your own demise, your kids' own demise, the city of New York's own demise, the state of New York's own demise, our profession as a whole. God, imploded. Nobody to blame but yourselves. Nobody to blame. Patrick Hendry's campaign is Joe Biden's campaign. That's what's going on right now. I don't care change my mind you're going to roll calls five minutes before these guys got to go out for work you have your friends wearing i'd rather i'd rather be an american than vote democrat when you're giving money to all of them you who are you fooling you're not fooling me you're not and if anybody i knock everybody i don't i don't i'm but but the left is completely insane i that would never give them my money I'll take the phony guys on the right that at least pretend that they like me. I'm not going to tell the guy that's saying that they're going to get rid of all of us and they're going to fire us and we're racists, just like the Gordanis one that I put out, uh, the state senator, Goon Daenerys or whatever in Brooklyn that we gave money to. And he's writing op-eds that we're racist and systemically racist and we killed black people when it's not even anywhere close to the truth. And he, and he, vote, and he votes on, on all this insanity, you know? Um, so... That's that's how I look at it, you know, and I, you know, that's how I, that's, that's just, that's just it to me that like, I, I am, I have no respect for them. I have no respect for the delegates either. I have no respect for the delegates that let this happen, that don't ask a question. I have no respect for the trustees that don't ask a question because I'm pretty sure 98% of you do not agree with it. I'm pretty sure. Well, the bottom line is this, when you're part of an organization, there's no way that you agree with everything. And if you do, that means that you're absolutely not standing on any principle. And you're just siding with the dictatorship because it's beneficial to you. It's, and it's not about you. And I'm speaking to the New York City PBA right now, the board members. It's not about you. It's supposed to be about the members. You are handsomely compensated. You have a cell phone. You have all kinds of perks. There's a lot of money that doesn't have to come out of your pocket. You eat great lunches and great dinners every day on behalf of being a New York City PBA member, you do not have to strap on a gun belt. When it's hot outside, you're in air condition. When it's cold outside, you're in heat. You don't have to sit in these sweaty, disgusting RMPs, these patrol cars that these cops have to. You're not dealing with the bail reform, with the diaphragm law, and overzealous CCRB. So your campaign is to go to roll calls and hand out bottle openers. And again, it's said... And the cops need to open their eyes. And I hear, well, what I hear a lot is I talk to cops on a daily basis. And what I hear from the cops is this, John, and you probably hear the same thing. They had to, they had to do it. They had to make these payments. They had to get us a contract. Well, let me tell you this. John and I spoke about this numerous times. I'm happy for you that you got a contract. You got a sigh of relief. You do. You got a sigh of relief. I get it. You probably could have done better. And I'll tell you this. I spoke to someone from the pension section. I want to clarify and make sure that John and I are right that you did lose compounded interest on your pension. When you get this retro pay, okay, you're getting money that you that you did not have while you're working 
on your contract. But you can never get back that compounded interest that you lost in your pension. This is short-sighted. This retro money is going to help you pay credit card debt, maybe fix your house, or maybe get yourself into a house, however you see fit. But you can't put this money back into your pension. There's no buyback option to put this money in your pension that's going to be for life. And I hope that most of you make great investments with the money that you get now. But with inflation and the, the weight of the dollar, I'd say this money will not last you forever. You have expenses. The, the inflation is at a 14% rate in comparison to when you did not have a contract. You cannot keep up with this inflation. You have to make more than the inflation because of the, the tax bracket that you're in and the expenses that you have. So this is short-sighted. I think there's a lot of other issues that need to be covered. John, I'm going to ask you this because I want the cops to hear this. And then I'm going to give my perspective. If you were the PBA president today, what would be the first three things of order of business that you would handle in order? What would it be? Very simple. Very, very simple. I'm going right for all the guys that were forced to vest out and terminated, and I'm getting them back on the job. That's my first thing. I'm going right after the disciplinary matrix, right after the, the aggravated penalties on it. I'm asking for all those penalties to be removed. They are ridiculous. They're egregious. They make no sense. And the third thing I'm doing is I'm asking for fair and, and, and proper and non-biased investigations from the CCRB. Those are the top three things I'm doing. What are you doing? Uh, I, you know what? I guess because we speak about this all the time. I can't. I don't even have to say it because you said exactly what I would say and exactly in that order. Exactly. Because 100%, the mayor is out there. We, we see articles in the paper. I mean, it's almost laughable that the mayor is out there recruiting, trying to recruit police officers because of the mass exodus. It's very simple. Just get back the guys that you, you discarded from the job who were affected, <laughs> right? Who were veterans on this job, who had experience. But yet you have to go out and recruit young men and women that you know that you're not targeting. You're not targeting alpha males and alpha females. We're specifically looking for meek, timid, and docile people so that they don't engage the community. We've lost the best and finest people in the New York City Police Department to a vaccine that means nothing right now. At this point, you could reapply. Anyone could, could apply or reapply for the New York City Police Department and no vaccine is required. But yet, people like John McCarry with experience, new, real New Yorkers who grew up in New York City have been discarded because of vaccine. Ultimately, John, I agree 1,000%. That should be the first order of business. And then absolutely, the next thing should be the disciplinary matrix. Why? Because that's another tool that can be weaponized to have you terminated. If you get a CCRB and you get a command discipline that emanates from a, a, a threat resistance injury report, you get a parking ticket with all this craziness that's going on with the park. These are all aggravating factors that can be used to terminate you when you get the next substantiated civilian complaint against you for something that's prolific and then you're terminated. And guess what? I, I've been hearing it constantly. John, I think we spoke about it on other podcasts and I'm going to reiterate it and we're going to say it again. I've heard it from numerous cops. Oh, the commissioner's looking into the uh, the discipline, disciplinary matrix. She's going to she's going to modify some of this discipline. Really? Do you really believe that? Because since the inception 
of the disciplinary matrix, which was January 2021. It's now more than 24 months. There has been 12 modifications from the, uh, in regards to discipline. The police commissioner has only deviated in 12 cases. Now, I don't know how many cases there were in total, but I can tell you right now, that percentage is less than 1%. How do we know that? Because she testified to it at the New York City Council budget hearing. If you believe that you are in good hands with the police commissioner right now in discipline, you are sadly mistaken. You must, and I'm saying this right now, you're a cop out there, you go to a domestic violence job, it's a must arrest. Well, I'm telling you right now, you should not wear the uniform, you should not go out tomorrow doing police work until you read the disciplinary matrix. And I mean it. You should never put your boots on again or strap on your shield until you read that document. And if you haven't read that document, you need to go to your trustees. You need to go to your delegates and ask them, have you read the document? After you read it, start asking them questions. And let's see if they actually read it. And I guarantee you, most of them haven't. And for those that are listening to this, and you, since you don't have to worry about making appearances, in gun, with your gun belt on, while you're sitting in that nice air-conditioned office, open up the disciplinary matrix. Take a look at it. See how it affects your members. Take the time out, Danny Torelli. Read it. You got one year to retire. Maybe by the time that you retire, you could say that you read the disciplinary matrix. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and just one thing with the with the mandate, you know, because I keep hearing, you know how expensive it would be to hire all you guys back? Yeah, it would be way less expensive than training the fucking new guys that it's going to take them two, three years before they even understand what the hell is going on. Way less expensive. How much does it cost a cop to get trained in the academy? Way more than it would be to get me a top pay lieutenant back. Give me my back pay. I'm right back in work and I didn't skip a fucking beat. You know what I mean? It's it, it's the stupid. It's another feeble minded. Like cops are dumb. And that's why we get treated <laughs> like shit. That's a hundred percent why we get treated like shit. I, I'm not kidding. Like we're we're idiots. You just hear, one, yeah, it'd be a lot of money, bro. Be a lot of money, bro. Like, what do you? What, city does an illegal injunction. It gets found to be illegal on so many levels, civilly, criminally, every which way. It's illegal. Nah, yeah, but it doesn't affect me, right? Because I'm the best cop ever. So they'll never, you know, they just something <laughs> in my body. It doesn't affect me, you know. Idiots, complete morons. I do have a question before we get off the PBA. I have one question I need to ask because I've been thinking about it. Um, one of these meme pages puts out that the PBA and one of their emails stated that upon ratification, you'll get your retro and raise immediately. And they sent it out. I forget the meme page, but I have it. So if anybody wants to fact check me, I'll gladly send it to you. You all got my phone number. You got our email address. If you need, if need be, I'll post it, you know, so, so let me know if you're not sure. I thought you posted already. I didn't, I didn't post oh, it. Okay, maybe, okay. Maybe, I did. maybe I shared it. Maybe I reshared it, but I'll reshare it again. If anybody wants to backtrack what I just said, which is true. They, they put out that you would receive it immediately. So now, right. The, the contract gets ratified on April 21st, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, whatever date it gets, it's, it's end of April, right. We'll just say, in the 20s in April, right? Easy. Just go just go look at our attacks. I mean, we'll know what they yeah. so contract gets ratified in April. Um, it then gets told that by the city, because the city does control it, not the PBA. So when the PBA is saying that you're gonna get it on this date, I mean they're 
you know, they're just they're blowing smoke up your ass. They're gaslighting you. <laughs> Um, because they don't control it. It comes from OMB. OMB says when they're going to pay it out and how they're going to pay it out. And they could actually put in increments if they want. And they could stretch it out for a fucking year or two if they want. You know, but they didn't do that. They said, hey, July 21st, your raise is going to kick in and you can get your retro. Here's my question. Are you getting retro from the date you were out of contract to July 21st? Or are you getting retro from the date of your contract to the date that from the date your contract was expired to the date the contract was ratified. Because if you did, if you only get it from the date your contract expired to the date it was ratified in April, and you got to wait three months to get your money, guess what that is? It's three months of zeros. Three months of zeros. That you wait, 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 wait. They never take zeros. Never. That's what I heard. Never. So, listen, I'm not saying that that happened, but what I'm saying is who's seen this contract? Who's seen the writing? <laughs> Where is the draft? Where is the official document? What are you getting retro to? And I guarantee when you ask your delegate this, and I guarantee when you ask the trustee, and I guarantee you when you call the PBA, you're not going to get a direct answer. I guarantee it. Mark my words. Don't come back to me and send me some stupid message that they said this. I need to know. Is, what, are you getting retro all the way to July 21st? Because Are you getting July 21st all the way back to the end of that contract? Because if you're not, Three months of zeros. You waited six years to sign on to this contract to not get three months of zeros. And that means not only you definitely didn't break the pattern. We already broke that here. Not only did you not break the pattern, not only you fucking took way less than the pattern and you gave up your health care. So that that's a big question. Did you get gaslit? But we won't know because we need to see that contract. But just do me a favor. Ask that question for me. Get back to me. Let me know what you get. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm sure if I was to speak to one of these uh, trustees, the board members, they'd probably put their arm around my back and say, you know what? Don't worry about it. You're going to get everything. Everything's coming to you. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You get everything. Oh, no, we can do it, Ma. Everything's good. <laughs> well, what's everything? Don't worry about it. You'll never get a direct answer. Never. Absolutely not. Why? Because there's, there's so much stuff right now that's hidden behind that curtain. I can't wait till this all gets exposed. But by then, Pat Lynch is going to be long gone. Dane Torelli will be gone by then. And we'll have Biden in office. <laughs> we'll have Biden. <laughs> but, but let's talk about what's important. Everyone in the New York City Police Department is going to have a brand new challenge coin and a bottle opener. So every time you crack open that bottle at home, just think of the New York City PBA. And while you're cracking that bottle, you're going to be like, Holy shit. I got bamboozled. You know what? Again. Again. <laughs> that, two that bald <laughs> lieutenant and that fucking crazy guy that had that they do the fire for the CCRPs. Those guys were right. You know what? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm gonna say. You know what? Fuck this bottle opener and throw it right in garbage. <laughs> but by that time, Pat Lynch will be working upstate in Albany with Kathy Hotel or somewhere else. And and, and I don't know. Hey, Torelli, I think you should probably go hang out on the beach and go enjoy your life. It'll probably go up there as well. I'm, I'm sure I can see the future. But like I said, 
to my police officers, the last thing before we go on the next segment, I, I, I want you to think about that. Ask your ask the board members, would you be willing to strap on a gun belt three days a week for six months to sacrifice for us so that we could get better entitlements, so that we could get treated better, so that CCRB would be taken off the table, the discipline matrix? Would they do that for you? I don't know. I tell you right now, if I was playing back blackjack, I would say, you know what? You're going to lose. I would get insurance. That's what I would get. I would get insurance because something tells me that you're going to lose. The house always wins, and the PBA is the house, and you're losing. They can play any games they want with you, and you guys won't believe it because all they have to do is get you some retro money, and, and you forgot about all the six years. It's amazing. For six years, these cops, I heard them. John, it wasn't that long ago we left the job. And I heard the cops constantly. Bad mouth and Pat Lynch. He never takes care of us. We never get a contract. It was six years. And that's all forgotten because you got your retro. Somehow you forgot all about that six years. You don't even care that you lost almost a decade of compounded interest on your pension. And now you're all excited. Now you're a tier three personnel and you have six years, uh, you have 10 years on the job or 12 years on the job and you could finally take a pension loan. And you should be asking yourself, why could I take a pension loan before? Why can I take it now? That's another question I like to pose. Why is it at these pension seminars that they always tell the cops, don't ever take a pension? Do they get some type of kickback from these Democratic politicians up in Albany? I'm curious because to tell you to never take a pension loan, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yes, don't take a pension loan to buy a car, something that's a liability that depreciates that is not an asset. But if you could take a pension loan and you're getting 8% interest and you could put it somewhere that's going to give you 15, well, then obviously that's a no-brainer. So the word never should not be used. So that's why I hope I hope, I hope, hope we're wrong. Honestly, I don't want to see the cops get zeros. But if they do get zeros, the answer never, that's been completely debunked. Well, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I just didn't see anything. And then it just, you know, it's a question. It's a question. You know, it's a question, not just me, all the people had, you know what I mean? Uh, someone sent me a message about it too. And I'm like, I, you know, honestly, that's a great, that's a great, great question. I, I was like, I, I don't know. I have question is scary. You see anything? You're in. Ask them. You know what I mean? And everyone's coming back with bullshit. So then now that makes my antennas go up. I'm like, okay, something's fucking, something's there, right? Something's there. Um, well, I tell you what, honestly, it, it, it completely makes sense. And I hope that we actually get, an answer. I hope that the. I, I honestly, I hope the PBA responds this one. If they can explain this one, because it's great. It's a question. We're not saying that's what 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 happened, but I think it's a great question to know. There is a gap there, as far as what as as far as we've heard up to this point that the contract is ratified. I think it's April twenty first or the end of April, but the actual payout is in July. So, how do those three months get compensated? Is that a zero in the payout? Is that a timeline that will be attributed to the next contract. I would like, I would definitely love some clarification on that. It doesn't have to be literature, but you know, if the New York city PBA could contact us and let us know, or at least let the members know, I think it's important. It, it's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Let the members know. You don't need to let us know. I don't give a shit. I, it doesn't affect me. I don't care. I'm not getting any money. <laughs> I am curious though. Now I'm curious, you know, I, I'm very curious, honestly. It poses a lot of questions. It really does. So, Eric, we titled the name of this podcast is Belt Keepers Not Required. 
Why did we title it? <laughs> I remember you and I were talking about that. Like, what should we title this? I'm like, I no, no bell keepers. So I, I'm sure the cops know. Listen, one thing about the NYPD, when it, when something comes out, information, even though there's possibly 35,000 members, I don't know how many there are now because of this mass exodus, but everyone finds out within seconds. So there was a police officer that was detailed out to the gun range to, uh, to, for qualification for the day. And this particular police officer, from what we heard, is that he reported to the... Uh, again, this is all hearsay and word of mouth, but we have some pictures. We're not going to pose it, uh, put it up, but just for clarification, that uh, pictures that were sent around. And what we heard is that this particular police officer went to the gun range wearing shorts. Now, that's a problem because everyone knows if you're a cop at one day on the job or 20 years on the job, the gun range is taken very seriously. And you're supposed to wear pants. You're supposed to wear your gun belt with actual belt keepers. Why? Because it's tactically sound. When you wear the gun belt and you have the actual gun belt keepers on, for those that are not cops, what that is, it's actual clips that you put and connect your pants, your trousers, your trouser belt to the gun belt. Why? So that when you retract your firearm to shoot, the gun doesn't swivel all over the place, and you don't end up with a gun on the other side. So it's actually for tactical purposes. This particular police officer went to the gun range in, in shorts. We also tell the police officers to wear pants so that they don't get ejected rounds on their pants, uh, on their legs getting burn marks. So it's about safety, safety purposes. This particular, uh, particular police officer, from what we were told, was instructed to either go back to his command or change into proper attire. What was the next attire that we saw? That's what I'd like you to say, John. <laughs> yeah, so the officer came out wearing a dress. Um, went back out. I get conflicting reports. I heard that he got returned to command, which he should have. I also heard that he shot the line of fire. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to believe. I'm going to go with that he was returned to command. Uh, but I really don't know what to believe because I did he hear so many messages that he returned. But again, it's it's the rumor mill. It is what it is. Um, me, Eric, and an executive were going back and forth about what's the proper course of action. Um, what's the proper course of action from a supervisory standpoint, from a department standpoint? I mean, obviously, you know, and I think this is for the supervisors and I think it's good for the cops to hear too. Obviously, he comes there in shorts, right? I know sergeants, I know lieutenants that did dumb shit, and they were like, dude, you didn't come with your gun belt, you came in something shorts, whatever the hell it is, you can't shoot. Like, you got to correct it or you can't shoot. I know I know supervisors that got sent back. Um, I don't know if they came the second time, right? So the second time, to me, to me personally, like thinking about it, you go there in shorts, it's already a big fuck you to everybody, Right. Now you get told you got to come back with pants on. You come back with a dress. To me personally, it's two fuck yous. Um, what's the proper course of action? Is it just return him to command? It's definitely not let him shoot. 100,000%. And if that happened, that is a fucking disgrace. And the CEO of the range should be transferred. That's fucking 100% not the cause of action. If that is. I don't know that that is. But, um, you know, so I say, it. you know, not knowing the guy's personality, could it be a mistake? Yeah, it could be. 
Could it be he just tried to, if, oh, yeah, my wife's dress is in the car. I'm going to put my wife's dress on. Looks like pants. You know, I'm going to go shoot. Could be, maybe. I don't think so. I think it's a big fuck you. I think both of them is a fuck you. Um, me and Eric and the executive, we went back and forth on should he have received discipline or should he just be returned to command? Eric, what do you what do you think like your initial thoughts were on it? But again, I think the range should be taken very seriously. I, honestly, I, I spent six years in the Marine Corps. I talk about this all the time. The gun range in the Marine Corps was taken very seriously. Why? Especially right now. Police officers work in environment. There, there's been so many police-involved shootings, they have to take it very seriously. I think it was about three weeks ago that we actually had four police-involved shootings in one week. In one week. There was one in Staten Island, one in the Bronx, one in Brooklyn, one in Queens. In almost every borough, we had a police-involved shooting in one week's time. So we should take this extremely serious. Everyone knows. Everyone knows, again, I say it, if you got one day in a job, if you had 20 years on the job, everyone knows you get a notification when you go to the range and the notification is specific. It always says, have your gun belt. And it always says, do not wear pants. Do not, you must wear shoes or sneakers and do not wear shorts. And everyone knows this. So to show up in shorts, I think, honestly, I think there's a difference between malice and a mistake. And I think it's completely malicious to show up in shorts. You know what you're doing. I think the hopes are probably to get sent back to your command so you don't have to shoot and you can do it another day. And you, it's basically a day out of work because you spend all the logistics of having to go to the gun range, being sent back to your precinct. That probably sucks up about half your day. And by the time you get to your precinct, you're pretty much on your way home. So it's kind of a way, I think, to maneuver in an easy, lackadaisical day. Now, I do understand. Cops do make mistakes. They forget their gun belts. Sometimes they actually forget their guns. That's a, It's idiotic, but it's a mistake. But to actually wear shorts, I think you clearly understand that you're going to the gun range and you know you have to be wearing pants. One, honestly, it sucks. If you, anyone knows that you go to the gun range, it sucks when you get hot brass, goes down your shirt, or it go, hits your pants. It burns. Let's, let's, let's be honest. It's a reality. So to wear shorts, I do think it's complete fuck you. But pictures say a thousand words. And I saw those pictures. And that police officer, I'm, I, I, I believe that he was saying, you know what? Fuck the whole system. He went to his car and came out with a dress. I don't believe that he said, you know what? My wife's, my wife's dress is, is in there, and that's what I'm going to wear. I'm a firm believer. John, you probably agree. If I went to my car and all that was there is my dress, I would have went back and said, listen, there's only my wife's dress in there. I'm sure you don't want me to wear that. So I guess I'll go back, back to my command. Or I'll go buy, get a, I'll go run home if I live close enough, get a pair of pants. Or I'll go there's there's a there's a huge shopping center right by the gun range, and I'll go buy a pair of pants real quick if it was that important to you. That was a complete fuck you. And my first reaction was that I would initiate a command discipline. It's in house discipline, and the reason why I said that is because I do believe you're opening up Pandora's box. So if this part this is extremely problematic, if they think it's okay to do this. Now, what happens if a woman decides, you know what, I'll wear a dress today? How can we tell her no? If this if this man thought it was appropriate, how could we tell her no? We're opening up a whole new door. And I don't care if he actually shot or not. But the idea that he thought that was appropriate is completely ridiculous. And to take a and he actually had a picture wearing his gun belt. So to me, that says to me that he was actually ready to actually go on, on the line. And if he wasn't, he was making a mockery. He was wearing his gun belt. With no bell keepers. 
And I know that's funny because that's a title, but it's actually extremely problematic because it says you don't care. To me, it speaks volumes. You don't care about tactics. You don't care about your fellow brother and sister out there right now because you should be proficient on the gun range. I've seen some of these cops fire. It was embarrassing. They couldn't even hit the paper. It was ridiculous. And they should take it more serious because if you are ever going to fire that firearm, you want to hit your target. And you already have something against you. And if the public doesn't know this, they make it extremely difficult. I know sometimes the public wonders, how come cops in the NYPD specifically are terrible shots? I'm going to tell you why. And you should blame the weak management because they modify these guns. Most guns have a six-pound trigger pull, which means it's very easy to pull that trigger, and that gun is going to fire exactly where you intend to fire it. But the NYPD guns are modified to have a 12-pound trigger pull. So it's very tough to actually pull this trigger. It's a long squeeze to actually be able to hit your target under stress with a 12-pound trigger pull. So that's why they're bad shots. Also, lack of training. That's another contributing factor. But just the gun itself is problematic. And I think it's extremely, I think this cop was extremely saying, fuck you. So that was my initial reaction. And I know you, you, you guys gave me a hard time for it. And, and, and I'm really, I, I, I definitely understand your opinion. And, and, I, and after talking to you guys, I, I, I do agree that maybe a command discipline would not be the best approach. But my initial reaction was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And we're opening up all kinds of doors. No, so I agree that person deserves a command discipline. But, you know, speaking to the executive and knowing the process of the range, they don't hand out command disciplines. Right. They send you back to command. Now, if this person has a history of getting sent back to the command when they're at training, that's a, that, that is on the command now to be like, hey, I, you know, I schedule you for this. I can't schedule it again for another training. That could possibly be a CD at the command. But if at the range, the range's policy is that we just send people back. We don't let them shoot. They, people come all the time. They don't have a holster. They're not wearing proper attire. Whatever it is, we send them back. You know, I'm saying as a supervisor, follow that policy. Don't let your ego get in the way. Same way when you're a cop on the street and someone's being a fucking jerk off. Do what you would do always, right? It doesn't matter the interaction, right? And and like that, that was my whole thing. Like, you know, I heard a lot of people, oh, they're fucking pussies at the range. I don't think so. If they let them shot, if they let them shoot, then 100% they're fucking pussies. You know, <laughs> they all deserve CDs. They all deserve CDs. They should get the CDs. Let this guy get, get his qualification. Give all the bosses CDs that day. Because whoever okayed that as a supervisor, they deserve the CD then. Um, that is protocol because you you failed to, to adhere to the proper safety protocols and ensure that safety was on the line that day. So if that did happen, they deserve CDs. But by them sending them back and following their normal protocol, absolutely not. I think they're just, you know, and, and I get it. Like, oh, everybody's scared of OEOs, OEOs. That is, you're going to, like, you're opening yourself up. You're putting yourself on an island by yourself if you're stepping outside of what normal procedure is. If that discipline is you're getting sent back to command and you're not shooting, that's the discipline, you know? So I think we, we went back and forth about on that. But I do think, you know, I, you know, and, and my other, my other thought on it is if, I, I don't know the person, is it, is if they are transgender, um, you know, if it is a transgender person, 
doesn't matter, right? Really doesn't matter. It's your own sexual preference or whatever, how you identify, whatever the hell it is. We don't let uh, biological women shoot in dresses. So why would you get any special treatment? Why do you deserve any special treatment? You signed up to take this job, do the job. So, you know, and I do think we will see more transgenders coming on the New York City Police Department, which I, I, you know, I know to be a mental disorder. I know that there's a high suicide rate amongst the transgender community. Over 60% uh, attempt to commit suicide. I, me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, how are we, how are we not, how are we failing kids for a psychological test because they got a ticket when they're in college for having a red cup and, and drinking beer? How's that person getting disqualified? And we're letting people that are a part of a community that 60% of them have suicidal tendencies and we're going to give them a badge and a gun. Now, I don't know that this person is, I don't, I, I, from what I heard, it was his wife's dress, but it just, it just came to mind. Oh, what if he's a transgender? What if it doesn't matter? doesn't matter. I don't care what, what it is. Like the, the rules are the rules, the rules are the rules. But if that is the case, how are we letting transgenders on the job, but we're telling kids that got a drinking summons that they can't be cops. I have to be honest. I actually, I posed this question before. And I say, I say to myself, because we're aware that in the transgender community, there's a 60% rate of suicide, right? And they're passing a psychological to go to an, to go into a career that is suffering right now at the hands of mental health and a suicide epidemic within the New York City Police Department. And these, in most cases, this is 60% suicidal rate amongst the transgender community. So we're putting people that already have a tendency to commit suicide in an environment that has the internal pressures to cause people that have never had any mental illnesses in their life to the point of suicide. To me, this is a complete powder keg. Again, I don't understand how they, they process and they make it through the candidate processing to actually become a New York City police officer. Now, I've heard different theories. Again, same thing as you, that this cop grabbed his wife's dress or the cop is transgender. Frankly, it doesn't matter. If he's transgender or if he grabbed his, his wife's dress, it's complete mockery. It means he doesn't care about the job. And that's what we're seeing. Because of all the legislation, we're not hiring the right people. And with that being said, no one cares anymore because they're probably saying to themselves, why do I have to qualify anyway? I'm probably not I'm probably not going to shoot this damn gun. And if I do, I'm going to get in trouble for it. So they don't care. We've lost morale. We lost the, the ideology of the importance of training. I think it's complete mockery. And that's why my first reaction was for discipline. And I do think down the line there should be some type of system of discipline and it should be a case-by-case -case basis. But to have an overall blanket operation that everyone just gets sent by the command, I don't agree with that. And the reason why I say I say it's a case-by-case -case basis because there is a difference between malice and there's a difference between mistake. Someone makes an honest mistake, even if it's stupid, it's a mistake. But if someone is doing something to be malicious, I think that behavior needs to be corrected. What, what are your thoughts on that? Again, like I said, I, you know, it, 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 if it's not an egregious act, if it's just something that they're, you know, they're they're 
didn't, they're not in proper attire, which I, I said, you know, I know numerous guys that got sent back from the range because they're idiots, not because <laughs> they really did malicious things. You know, they really yeah. idiots. Oh shit. I'm in the car and I didn't get my gun belt. I'm just going to try to shoot my, my pancake holster, you know, and I could see someone going to the car and like trying to Jimmy something together and make it look like a fucking gun belt to go shoot. Like I could just, you know, like, like, so again, like we don't really know the intent. And again, the intent doesn't matter because it's the act that should really matter. You know? Um, so like I said, do I think he deserves a CD? I, me personally, I do, but I don't blame. Uh, I don't. I don't think that the uh, supervisor at this point should put their neck out on the line to give him one. I think you should follow the protocol. You know, I do. I do. I do think it was egregious. I think showing up in shorts is is is, and, and especially he was wearing a jacket, so it wasn't even warm. <laughs> right? It's not like it was. It was hot out. You know what I mean? I think it was a great conversation. Uh, myself and you and the executive. I think it was a great conversation. It was some real great talking points. This particular executive we spoke to had some really great talking points. And I think it was a great conversation. And like I said, my initial reaction was to give it command discipline. And like I said, I do think down the line there should be. But I understand he explained the protocol and that people always sent sent home. So I understand not putting – that's why, you know, I understand we don't want to put any supervisors in a position that, they, that, that they, unfortunately, that they're going to sustain the liability for the mistake and the malice – of a police officer for not taking the reins seriously for, for not following protocol of, of what to wear. I think they cl clearly are, are, are aware of, of the proper dress for it. So I can understand that, but down the line, there has to be, this is something that we need to con That's why there's a patrol guide, a living document, because we always have to constantly explore these things. And now with this, this change with identity politics and, and the diversity, equity, inclusion. This is something that I think we need to look at in the future. And I think that if this particular cop is transgender, to to weaponize and, and to uh, to utilize the identity politics to to make a mockery of the system, it 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 has to be dealt with eventually down the line. Because again, like I said, if that's the case, it does open the door with hey, what what are we going to say to a woman? You know. You know, and that's why I, I had posed the question, John. Do we think that we would get the same reaction if a woman went to the car and came out wearing a dress? Do you think we'd get the same reaction from the police department that we did in this particular case? I do think she would get sent back. You know what I mean? I think she would get sent back. Like, you know, I don't think that she would get a CD either. You know, if try to cover it up with, you know, oh, my, it's just my ankles that are showing, you know. Right. Like that's you know that's that's what I think about it. One one thing I gotta I gotta quote the the executive on that he said that it stuck with me because I really never heard it. And and for those of you in OEO, I think that you're all frauds and you should all be out on patrol because during the vaccine mandate you didn't you didn't you didn't help anybody out at all. So you're I think you're all completely full of shit. I think that whole organization's full of shit. I think your deputy commissioner is full of shit. And for all of you in the and the accommodation process with approved religious exemptions. Fuck you. You know, so that's all I got to say to you. But while we're on the topic of OEO, <laughs> while we're on the topic of OEO, he said to me, and he said to me and Eric, he said, it was told to me, the problem with OEO is that OEO is supposed to be a shield to protect our employees, but instead it's being used as a sword. 
to hurt the job and to sue the job. And I, and I do think that's a, a big problem. And I thought that was a great quote because that's exactly what it is. And that shield obviously does not fucking exist. So for, uh, fuck you for whoever handled my case, by the way. Um, it's uh, <laughs> so, you know, so like I, I just thought that was a great quote. I think that's something that I think will stick with me for a long time. I think whoever's on the job, that's how OEO is really being. It's being used as a sword to, for litigation, for people to get ahead, for someone to try to weaponize their sexual preference or something for lawsuits, for monetary gain, for personal gain. I think that, you know, most of them probably in the union, you know what I mean? Probably in the upper echelons of the police department. You know, like the, the, this, this is the type of personality. I'll step on someone's throat. I don't care who goes just so I could get a little more money or I could move up in the ranks. Uh, but that's what's going on where we, we've helped, uh, you know, stab the heart of the job and, and people who've done nothing wrong. You know, um, I just thought that was a great quote. Um, anything else on that? I was kind of wanted to touch on that. Uh, the thought crimes, the early intervention. Yeah, no, I do too. But before we go into that whole minority report thing, I just want to say this, John. You and I discussed this, and you know, you worked in, in, in internal affairs, and we discussed this. And I, I want to say this to the cops and to the public because I really believe this. You and I spoke about this. I think what I'm about to say is on parallel with the weaponization of OEO. And uh, kudos to the executive that we spoke to, providing that quote. I think it was fantastic. I don't know if, if that was. Uh, completely generated from himself or something he heard, but I think it was great that that he utilizes that quote. I think it's fantastic, and I, I really appreciate it. And I'll never forget that. But I think what's on parallel uh, parallel on that is how cops utilize and weaponize internal affairs against each other. Like for instance, in Sal Greco's case, an anonymous letter was written on behalf of Sal Greco by another cop. I find that extremely problematic. You and I have both spoken about this, and I'm going to say this publicly right now. John and I both agree, as a cop, you should not be permitted to report a complaint of potential misconduct or corruption anonymous. You are a police officer. You're supposed to address things as you see them or as they arouse. You should not be allowed to make a complaint of corruption or misconduct anonymous. For one, I think it completely contradicts our profession. Second, it's a cowardly act. Absolutely. And third, it speaks volumes about the person that you are. If you thought there was legitimate misconduct or corruption, you're supposed to stay, stand in the face of adversity. Good cops, police bad cops. Good cops, Hate bad cops more than anybody else. But when you report these complaints anonymous by letters or some type of complaint by phone, it's a cowardly act. And it, it says to me, in most cases, that these complaints are probably fictitious and they're about venom and they're used, uh, they're used to weaponize. Uh, they're used to hurt another cop because something of envy. Maybe they have a detail that you that, that you're envious of. Maybe they made more money than you. Or maybe they have the girl or the guy that you wanted, but it's a complete cowardly act. John, I know you agree. We can go on to the next segment, but please, I want you to think about that. Um, I, I, yeah, I just want to say when I was there, I read letters from people pretending to be a PRAA or a PAA yeah. 
And you could literally tell, like, all right, this is the admin lieutenant's mad because the SOL is making overtime. It's really fucking pathetic. I mean, we're police officers. Maybe you would have more representation. Maybe you would have more people in leadership with a fucking spine if we didn't if we didn't pat people on the back for fucking being cowards. It's cowardly. It shouldn't happen. If I see corruption, I should pick up the phone, give my name and my tax number, and that be the end of it. Same way when you're out on the street. What are you going to do? You're a cop. You're dealing with a guy that maybe he killed four people. Maybe he's a mobster. Maybe he's a bad gang member. Maybe he does hits for whoever. What? You could call in anonymously. He's on the corner. And I don't like, I don't know if he has a gun, but I think he does. No, you can't. I mean, so the, the bottom line is this. The, the anonymous is just breeding cowardice. The anonymous complaints is just breeding, breeding total, total cowardice. It's awful. It should never be done. And, and honestly, that's another thing that should be looked at. You should honestly have to go for a psych evaluation after doing that. Like this, some of these letters were insane, dude. And you know it's coming from active police officers. And you're like, who the fuck's brain concocted this? You know, this is insanity, you know? And it was all bullshit. It was all fictitious bullshit just to get somebody in trouble for nothing, you know? Um, so yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. I like to yeah. that anonymous complaint. I saw Sean Greco with Roger Stone. You know, he likes Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck and you. He- yeah, exactly. And he works out, so he must be on steroids too. Oh, exactly. That's a, yeah. you know what? It's so funny you say that. You see a cop go out there and start working out and take care of themselves, or maybe someone that's been in, that's always taken and been in shape, and and right away, oh, they must be dealing with steroids. Well, listen, you know what? If you really if you really thought they were doing if they really thought they were doing steroids, then you should give your name. But yeah. to say uh, you know anonymously. I think that's such a cowardly act. And you know what? Why are you going to report that? Let the job figure that out. I mean, if they're doing drugs, that's different. But who are you to know if they're doing steroids or not? Unless you saw it. Unless you actually saw them doing steroids. What, what's your expertise on, on actually identifying someone that's using steroids? We we, we learn about what are the uh, what are the signs someone's was smoking marijuana back when it, was, when it wasn't legal. What are the signs of someone that's... Uh, using cocaine or crack or other drugs, but we never had any training. I never had, I, John, I don't know. I never had any training on how to identify someone that's using steroids other than they're just big and muscular. I mean, but what, what I, I never actually had any formal training on that. Not at all. And I don't think there's any other cop that has to report someone on steroids. Holy shit. Envious. That's, and I think that's what happened. Sal Greco. And he's, you know, he's six foot two, you know, he's in good shape and he hangs out with Roger Stone. Jealous, jealous, jealous. 100%. 100%. Now, now look, I, I, I said one thing before we go into minority report because you just made me think of something. A cop, <laughs> a cop doled out recently. He just doled out, and he said that he doled out for marijuana, and he said he was using hemp soap. I saw that. Marijuana is legal now. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say this is not marijuana from when me and you were kids. This is not natural stuff from everything that I hear. This is all chemicals. It, it's it's totally different than traditional marijuana 20, 30 years ago, right? Um, which I was arrested for. But <laughs> but but it's totally different. So and, and and even if it was traditional marijuana, my stance on this is is this. I don't believe 
that police officers should be able to smoke marijuana. I do believe it's an intoxicant. However, I do believe that if you're out sick while convalescing or using it for medical purposes or a form of marijuana, CBD, I do believe that you should have the ability to take it if it's for medical reasoning. Uh, I don't believe you should be able to take it at work to where the THC is there and you could be high and all that other stuff. I don't believe in recreational use for police officers, but I mean, the case is there, right? I mean, you're out there. New York City stinks like fucking marijuana. Obviously, the marijuana in your system now is going to be raised up because you're bringing in the tolerance levels should be made higher. I know for a fact. Almost everyone on FD is smoking weed like it's there's no tomorrow. You know, all these FD guys are smoking marijuana. Nothing's going to happen to them when they get caught. Nothing happened to them back in the day. So. So my whole argument falls to shit right by there, right? Right by there, we're letting other city agencies do it. What do you think? Do you think that this kid say, let's just say it wasn't the hemp soap. I'll take his word for it. That was the hemp soap. So I, if he doesn't have a high level, give this kid a fucking drawback. But what if it wasn't? What if he's like, no, I smoke marijuana. It's legal. Do you think he should be fired? I got to be honest. I, 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 I myself, I'm not a marijuana smoker. I'm retired. I can smoke marijuana now if I wanted to. I just don't like it. But I do. I have read about it, and there's great. There has been great uh, results that help veterans, especially uh, veterans that are suffering from PTSD. And I think most cops do suffer from some type of PTSD. It's not saying that's long term, but it could be short term, just because of the exposure of the job and just working in a metropolis like New York City. I think that there's a time and place for everything. I think we spoke about this in another podcast. There is a time and place for everything. It is legal to drink alcohol. And there's a time and place to drink with family and friends at a barbecue, at a bar, a function. There's a time and place. And it's legal. But that doesn't mean that we're drinking while we're in the cop car. We're drinking at the precinct. We're drinking where it's going to inhibit our abilities to do the job appropriately. I think if marijuana is legal, I do think that police officers should be permitted to smoke it. And that, again, I think there's a time and place. They want to smoke it at home and they're off duty and they should be similar to like alcohol. They have to stop smoking within a certain amount of hours from the time they report to work. Same thing with alcohol. You're not supposed to go to work with less than four hours of inducing alcohol. I think it should be the same thing with marijuana. And I think it should be legal. I don't, I don't, I don't buy the story though about the, the hemp soap. Actually, I don't think you could ingest marijuana in that form. I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on it, but just based on my knowledge, I don't think so. I don't think you should be fired for smoking marijuana. If it's legal, then they should be permitted to. It just should be a time and place. The NYPD puts way too many restrictions on things. I mean, they even put restrictions on what type of supplements that you can take from a GNC. It's absolutely ridiculous because the argument has been that some of these drugs can give a false positive for steroids. So the job cannot make a conclusive answer. But to, my answer is this. It's legal. I think the cops should be allowed to smoke. And I, like I said, I'm not a marijuana uh, smoker, but I think they should be permitted to. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think you just changed my mind. Yeah. I don't smoke marijuana either in retirement. I always said I was gonna, but I'll be honest, I'm a little afraid of it now. And I'm hoping one day this piece of shit Eric Adams comes back to his senses and I can go back to work. <laughs> But I, it doesn't look like that's happening. But whatever. Even even other than that, I'm just not into it. I'm not into the new age or anything. But you know what? You just changed my mind. Alcohol is an intoxicant, right? 
and I could go home and drink or I could go home, not to the point of intoxication. If it's legal, if you'll let an 18 year old kid smoke marijuana, why can't a police officer do it? Let him smoke weed. Let him smoke weed off duty. Leave this fucking kid alone. Give him his job back. Revamp your policy. No other city agency is going to fire people for smoking marijuana. Why is the NYPD going to do it? You change. Yeah, it. I mean, I, 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 I got to be honest. I, I grew up thinking that marijuana was like the worst thing because of all these, all the lies that we told years ago, starting, you know, from the Reagan era. You know, this is your brain on drugs. It was part of the indoctrination back then to believe that marijuana was the worst thing. But, you know, I, I always believe to be open minded and I've read so much stuff on it. And there are there are a lot of great things about it. And, and I think the same thing about alcohol. There's a lot of great things about alcohol that you read the ingredients of what is in a beer is actually good stuff in there. But it's not good to go have 50 beers. And I think it's the same thing. It's probably OK to to smoke a little bit. It's probably not good to be smoking all day to the point you inhibit your, you know, your thoughts. I think there's a balance for everything. I mean, listen, I don't think it's McDonald's is legal. I don't think it would be good to eat McDonald's three times a day, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be an effective police officer. You ate McDonald's all day, it'd slow you down. So I, I don't know. I think, I think we, I think, I think, I honestly do think it was a lie all these years about how marijuana was this drug. And listen, honestly, I feel bad. You know, when I was new on the job, I didn't know any better. Let's be honest. I arrested people for marijuana when I was brand new. In the lady years on the job, I, I did not. But when I was brand new, I arrested people for marijuana. I, I didn't know. I did what I was told. I was told it's illegal. I was told, get these people off the corner. They're smoking marijuana. But what I do know is that marijuana, when it was illegal, was three times the markup than other drugs. And what I did find, though, is many of the shootings that we had were related to marijuana more often than they were to crack and cocaine. That I do know. And I do believe because it was illegal. Now I, I hope that changes, but with the with the way the police department and the sheriff's office is, is targeting these businesses, we've now created our own black market of marijuana on the street. That's a whole nother fact. I think we should definitely have an episode to talk about that. It's very peculiar. Yeah, I locked up a ton of people for marijuana. Like I said, it was the best tool for law enforcement there was. I knew that the act of just smoking marijuana, a bunch of kids, I don't care what ethnicity they are, they're hanging out with girls, they're not bothering anyone, they're smoking marijuana. It's bullshit. I don't care. If I'm targeting burglars, if I'm targeting people that, that I think are doing something, have a firearm, anything, I'm using marijuana to get in that car. We opened up Pandora's box. We took away a great resource from the New York City Police Department. I don't believe that anybody should be able to smoke marijuana on New York City streets when women and children and elderly and disabled are walking around New York City streets and now they have to smell marijuana. I don't believe it is. But we opened up that box. It's gone. I don't feel bad about anybody that ever collared for it. I don't. And I don't feel like a hypocrite over it because, like I said, myself, I got arrested for it. It. So I, I, you know, I do think that things that when marijuana were illegal, that I thought the problem I had with marijuana, even when it was illegal, as I said, it brought you around people that you normally wouldn't be around. I didn't think that the drug would kill you or it was this uh, psychopathic medicine that would. But I thought not that it, I didn't even think it was a gateway drug. I didn't even believe that. I believed it was a gateway to bring you around people who didn't care about the law, who would violate the law, who would expose you to other drugs, right? And other bad things in society, because these were people that were living outside of societal norms. 
So those were the things I thought were I, I thought were bad. And I still I still I don't think it any I mean it's legal in New York City. It's not legal here in Florida, and I hope it doesn't become legal. I, I really I really don't I don't want to smell it. I don't wanna I don't want to see a society of dumb people who are just then going to in turn become cops, who are just then in turn going to become delegates and sit at these people, PBA meetings to go, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't want that. I want people with a brain. I want people to understand what's going on. I want people to be in the moment and understand. And I don't want my kids. I don't want it for my kids either, you know, or, or anybody else's kids. I think we opened the Pandora's box. Um, let them smoke weed though. Everybody else is doing it. You fucked everybody. You fucked the city up. Why? You know, why are the cops different? You know. Um, so let's let's get on this minority port, report thing. <laughs> um, let me pull it up. So I did get a message. Somebody with three CCRBs that have not been. There's no dispositions on. They have entered into this early intervention program just for three CCRBs. They, they haven't been found guilty. They haven't been found not guilty. They haven't been found anything. They enter into this. Uh, into into this. Do you think that that is fair, Eric? If I get three CCRBs, let's just say within a year, do you believe that that's fair? Well, absolutely not, right? I mean, we could actually compare this to when we actually make arrest, right? When someone's arrested, no matter how egregious the crime is, technically they're innocent until proven guilty. So I think it's on the same parallel. When you get a civilian complaint, that means that someone was arrested or some citizen had an interaction with a police officer or any rank and decided to make an allegation against a police officer that for improper force or necessary force or the the police officer abused their authority over them, or they were discourteous, or they used offensive language. It's an allegation. And until it's completely investigated and substantiated, it's just that. It's just an allegation. So I do not think that that should apply at all, because it, it, in many cases, and I will say, if from my expert opinion and from my experience, as a very active lieutenant doing intrusive police work and being the most complained cop and working with in the South Bronx with fine men and women doing special operations, I think that these civilian complaints are actually reflective of doing excellent police work. So it, it's it's a complete paradox. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. There are there are cops that receive civilian complaints. And in many cases, in some cases, not I won't say many, in some cases where the cop was improper and the civilian complaint was administered and hopefully it corrects that behavior. But I do believe the majority of complaints, including myself, are overzealous and the allegations uh, do not meet the substantiation properly. And even when they're substantiated because of the manpower, most of the cops do are, are, are not afford the opportunity to take them to trial unless you're a two star chief or, or above. I don't know how I've been hearing about some of these this, these white shirts. They've went to trial rather quickly. Uh, miraculously, I don't know if they they were able to get the desk clerk at civilian complaint to try this case. I don't know how they did it, but they did because I was told they only have three attorneys. Actually, at the time that I went to my my case, they only had two attorneys, and they finally hired a third. 
But I was only a lieutenant. I didn't have any stars on my shoulder, so it didn't work for me. Uh, the other part of this is to go into early intervention, you have three decline prosecutions from the district attorney. Three in, in one year, the district attorney declines to prosecute on three of your arrests. I That's that, that. Let me tell you something. That's a, that is even more egregious than the civilian complaints. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's even more egregious than the civilian complaints because of bail reform, and particularly in the Bronx and Brooklyn, if you're doing a truce of police work or self-initiated police work, good luck getting a district attorney to draw up your case. It will, they'll say I'll never make it past the hearing. Fuck bail reform. These motherfuckers, if you're an active cop, you're getting, you're getting a bunch of DPs that year. Fuck bail reform. I'm not even giving them an out. Like, this is like, I, w- I would have been on early intervention. Fucking that dick in Staten Island, he hated my, he hated my guts, that, that fucking kid. He, he made everything hard. I-, I would hand him slam dunk cases. I used to tell him all the time, I'm like, you know, you know, I was like, you know who, who I got a better chance of bringing this case to the guy in Dunkin' Donuts who just came in this fucking country yesterday than you understanding it. I'm at, I have video, I have written confession, and you still don't want to draw it up. Like, I don't understand. Like, these they they were always throwing cases out. They were always terrible. Now forget about it. So this is just a target against your inactive cop. This is just deterring police. Hey, right? John, can you can you do me a favor? Because I've met I've met quite a few friends that are cops in Florida and other agencies, and I've also met a lot of civilians that I've been getting support from. If you could just break down and actually explain, because they told me they love the stuff we're saying, but some of the stuff they just don't understand because it's geared towards New York City. But if you can explain to someone so they actually understand what you mean by drawing it up and what's a DP. Sure, I'll give you one. I, I'll give you one. It's going to be a little long story. <laughs> oh, no, it's you, great. Man. I'm going to give you a story, all right? I'm doing anti-crime. I'm in plain clothes. We normally don't chase the radio. We normally don't do anything on the radio. Home invasion comes over. I'm two blocks away. Um, my sergeant happens to be literally that the job comes over. He's like, I'm at the corner. Like he's he's like, where? Where? I'm here. He just happened to be right there. And Staten Island's pretty big. And the precinct that I was in was like, I think it was like 18 square miles. So it was like miraculous that I was even that close. And then he was there. And, and actually, there was a sector right there, too. So. And the house is off of the expressway. It's a big, a big house off of the expressway in Staten Island. Comes over home invasion. Um, we come on. We come over the overpass. We're over the overpass. When we get to the 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 um, the service road where the house is on, I see that my sergeant's in front of the house, and there's a, a cop car in front of the house to the front. So I tell my partner, go to the next block and go to the back. We go to the <laughs> back of the house. Here comes this kid jumping over the fence literally right into us i have him he has this girl's backpack on with property from the house we have him under arrest and he has keys for a volkswagen bug in his pocket good call hold i hold him there i speak to the girl i'm sorry i hold him there we do a show up so that she can't see him we have a car bring him by so that the the perpetrator cannot see him she's like that's him so i get a positive id right on the scene right that's him. We actually have another witness that gives him a positive ID right on the scene, right? I Now I go speak to her. He goes back to the command. I say, what happened? She tells me, I'm home. I stayed home from school today. She was a big girl, thank God, a uh, tall girl, um, Indian girl. She, she says, I stayed home from school today. My parents are doctors. They're both working. 
Um, I was on the phone with my friend. I got a knock at the door. I opened the door. Guy says to me, I just broke down on the expressway. I need to use your phone. She goes, no, I'm sorry. And goes to close the door. He pushes her in, throws her on the floor. But she's strong enough to throw him off of her. So she gets off of him. She has her phone in her hand and she runs down the service road. And she calls 911. Right. So she because she was on the phone with her friend. So she calls 911. My sergeant just happened to be right there. And so is the cop. This kid runs upstairs and starts taking shit from a house, grabs a backpack, starts putting shit in the house. Boom. He, he you know, he goes to sneak out the back door because the cops are coming in the front and me and my partner are waiting there. We grab him. We have him with all the property. And like I said, he's got a Volkswagen bug key in his pocket on top of the other property. He's under arrest. Right. He's under arrest. Right. He's under arrest, burglary, robbery, all that good stuff. Right. Well, that, that was a legit home invasion. I'm like the whole part about I broke down bothered me and he had the key on his pocket. So I'm like, go, go to the expressway. So we go down on the expressway. Sure enough, there's a Volkswagen bug cr- uh, crashed on the under the under the overpass of the expressway, right where he could it was in line to like walk up to go to her house on the service road. So it's like, oh, shit, run the plate, comes back to some old lady that works in, in, a, in a hospital in Staten Island. So I uh, go to the lady's house. I knock on a door. Nobody's there because um, now I need to get a complainant to draw up the grand loss in the auto, right? The, a grand loss in the auto on top of the unauthorized use of the vehicle. Um, I go I go to the lady's house. Lady's not home. I knock on the neighbor's door. I was like, hey, do you know who lives at that house? He's like, yeah, is everything okay? I'm like, I believe I have her car. I believe someone stole her car. Where does she work? And he goes, oh, she works wherever. He gives me her address where she works, gives me her phone number. I go to her her job. I get in contact with her and I go, did you give anybody permission to have your car? She goes, no, my car's in the parking lot. I was like, well, it's not. I said, I have it back back at the prison. It's not at the parking lot. I said, you know, did you leave your keys in the car? She's like, no. It's a little busted up right now. So she left. She wasn't aware. It was a newer car, so she wasn't aware that there was a valet key in the in the uh, in the in the you know in like the packet they give you for the book. So he used that yeah. used that key. Um, grand loss in the auto, unauthorized use of vehicle. Right. I go to draw up with the district attorney to tell them the case to present all the facts in the case. It's clear and dry. It's clear cut case. He gets charged with all those things, plus the grand loss in the auto. They leave the grand loss in the auto off. They charge him with burglary, they charge him with robbery. They leave the grand loss in the auto off. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. where's the car? Now we need video. I was like, what do you need video of? He's like, I need video. Oh, and oh, and by the way, I would always do the same thing. I would always do the same thing. I would say, hey, listen, you're in big trouble. I think the kid had 11 robberies and a bunch of other stuff on his record. I'm like, you're in big trouble. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and finesse you. I don't really care. I'll read you your rights. I'll be like, you're in big trouble. You could write a letter to the judge and tell him what you did and why you're sorry, or you don't have to, I don't give a shit. So sure enough, he writes a letter. My mother sent me to the South. So I don't want to say where he sent it, but my mother sent me to go to, to a drug rehab. My mother sent me to go to a drug rehab. She put me in a cab. I took a cab from my house. When I got there, instead of going to the drug rehab, I smoked a blunt with dust in it. I went and started pulling door handles. I stole this Volkswagen bug. 
I drove it. I crashed. I went to go ask the girl for her phone. I stole things. I'm sorry. I was on drugs. I didn't know what I was doing. He writes the whole confession on top of, I have everything. I have the witnesses. They're like, no, I need the video of him stealing the car from the parking lot. Video doesn't exist. The time cameras weren't. Was this the Long Island order? Was this the Long Island order? He likes to pull on car door handles too. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so anyway, he didn't want to draw. He didn't want to draw up the case to. He didn't want to draw up the case and charge the defendant with that that uh, the grand loss in the auto. So anyway, four tooth and nail. I winded up call, calling the borough CEO of Staten Island, and they had them draw up the case. So he drew up the case. Kid, I think, got six or seven years. He winded up pleading guilty. He took like six or seven years in jail. But that's what draw up is. You present the facts to the district attorney of what you have. Um, but I, I just had to highlight how horrible they always were because this is way before bail reform. And this is supposedly in the best borough with the easiest place to draw up. You know, they, they were always terrible. They were always looking to throw things out. They never wanted to charge anything. And this kid was a bad kid. He wasn't even a kid. He was my age. He was a bad, bad, bad guy. Uh, but that's what it is. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> I, I think it's great. I think that, you know, our viewers need an explanation because some people might not understand. And listen, our cops know exactly what it means. But I think it's good for other people to understand like what it takes to actually get a case, a, a case that a police officer initiates either where it's you're summoned because of the radio or you actually self-initiate to actually have a district attorney or a sister district attorney say, you know what? Yes, we're going to seek prosecution. So in, in, in light of that, it's actually ironic, right? Because we hear about the politicians and the bail reform and these other legislative uh, protocols that have been implemented to, to assist people that it's that, that said it's been a biased justice system where I, I, I believe that the, the assistant district attorneys that, they do everything they can to not prosecute something because if they don't see initially from the onset that, hey, this is a complete win that we have in court, will 100% make this pass a suppression hearing, they're not looking to take that case. They're, they're going to lean on declining to prosecute than actually lean to actually take this case to court and to actually put the work into it. And, and, that's, and, and this is even before the legislation and the the political climate and the political arena that we're living in now. So now it's just, it's, it's completely a hundred times worse. So to actually, like I said, to, to be red flagged because it's CCRB and I, I'll tell you, be the most complaint cop, I think it's terrible, but I think that this is even worse. This is by far even worse. It was this. It's out of your control. It's completely it, out of your control. You have a hundred percent. Nothing oh. you could do. And the other thing is if you have, been accused of racial profiling or using a racial slur. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I like, again, like I said, I don't know any cop that doesn't have a profiling thing, especially if you're white. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, I've ca caught people in people's houses. I caught people in people's cars that didn't belong because they were breaking into cars. It's cause I'm black. And I would always go, yeah, you're right, bro. You're 100% right. And he's like, see, see? I'm like, no, no, it's because you were in the person's house. It had nothing to do with it, you idiot. Like, you know, like, so being accused of racial profiling, again, it's a feeling. It's, it doesn't exist. Being accused, oh, he said this. Um, he said that. It's he said, she said bullshit. Why is that where I need to be on, 
monitoring and supposedly you're going to pick out you're going to pick out corruption you're going to pick out who's more likely to be a corrupt cop what i see when i'm looking at this is i'm seeing i'm picking out the more active police officers i'm picking on the more active police officers to me the guy that's more likely to be corrupt is sitting in the background not making arrests not getting involved in everything going about his tour and being real silent and then god knows what he's doing after work or even maybe on work, more than likely today, it's going to be after work, whatever they're doing. John, I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree with you more. This is a complete indicative. It's a sign of removing cops that do intrusive police work, the good cops out there. This is obviously, it's an extension of the woke movement. It's an extension of abolish the police movement because these three key elements deter police officers from engaging the community. And this is what's hurting public safety. Number one, right? If you get three CCRBs, that, what does that mean to the public? Exactly. It means three allegations, three separate allegations in a year. Allegations that you either use too much force, you abuse your authority. And abuse authority, it sounds terrible, but it's something as simple as not handing someone a business card. You were discourteous or you used offensive language. And the allegation could be from someone you arrested. In my case, every one of my complaints is someone that I arrested. So this person that you arrested, has made it an allegation against you. So you arrested three people in the year, or you arrested 100 people, but three people made an allegation against you. And those allegations are so heavily weighted that you're now being red flagged. In addition to that, three times in the year that the district attorney declined to prosecute, which we know they lean towards declining to prosecute. And then last but not least is this last caveat to it, uh, what was the last caveat you said it was? Racial profiling or exactly. racial slur? Well, racial. Well, again, you're Eric Dim and you're working in the South Bronx. You're working a special operations unit in PSA 7. It's 99% black and brown, 60% Hispanic, 39% black. Odds are every encounter I have, and especially doing intrusive police work, it's going to be more encounters than a cop that's doing patrol that's being summoned or these caps that we think are corrupt, the ones that exhibit laziness and not do anything. Eric Dim is going to be the one that's going to have the allegations of profiling. Why? Because my interactions, 99 of 100 interactions are going to be black and brown. So systematically, or the if you look at the statistics of it, it's going to give the appearance that at a disproportionate rate, we're stopping black and brown people and we're not stopping white people. We just don't have the opportunity. Put me in a white neighborhood. If I worked in the 123 or the 111 precinct, I have no problem. You commit a crime, I'll make the arrest. But I wasn't assigned that. I think this is this is a, a complete abomination for the cops that are out there right now. If you're doing neighborhood safety, which is the, uh, the quasi-uniform that is supposed to be a parallel of anti-crime. If you're doing public safety or any type of intrusive police work, I hear that they're going to start. Conditions units, which means cops go out there and do intrusive police work to address all conditions of quality of life. Okay. You're going to be red flagged. Oh, we're doing that again? We're yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Oh, I didn't know they're doing conditions units again. I don't know how they're going to – I'm hearing that they're looking to form teams, but I don't know how they're going to do it because all these things are off the table. And no one's going to prosecute. So if you go out and you arrest someone for OGA, disorderly conduct, urinating, they're not going to prosecute. And you're going. There's your first red flag. You, you, you arrested someone that. Someone call. What if you get seven junkies on the street selling, dealing or selling drugs? You get you get three DPS one call. Had numerous bodies. Nah, they're all they're all DPS. 
You know, SB, you can get you can get three complaints from CCRB, three declined to prosecute, and three racial profilings on one incident. That's on one incident, hundred percent. Listen, we know right now. Oh, sorry, we wrote, we know right now that one of the largest contributing factors to uh, to shootings in New York City are attributed to gambling. So that's if the public wants to know why we, we used to address gambling because it was contributing factors to shooting. So if we had plenty of times we had 10 guys rolling dice on the corner and we had three or four people shot in a week, we would address those 10 guys rolling dice because that would curb a shooting ultimately to save their lives so they wouldn't shoot anyone else if they were involved in it. So if we rent, arrest 10 black people, three of them can make a CCRB, three of them can make an allegation of racial profile, three of the cases could be declined to prosecute, and there you go. You're on that list, minority report. I just want to go, go back one thing. How do you prove racial profiling, right? Somebody says a cop is, he steals money, steals money. We got a couple of allegations of that. The police department will send undercovers at them. They'll set up a job, whether it be a 911 call or not even. They'll just get themselves in view of that police officer. The undercovers will. And they'll see if he steals money. How do you prove racial profiling when you have a white guy in a 99% black neighborhood? How do you prove it? I have no idea, to be honest. Just I, he's stopping <laughs> black people. If we throw him in Japan and he's using the same tactics, is he racial profiling because his it's overwhelmingly going to stop Japanese people? Like, I don't understand the thought process behind it. I don't, it fails at like every level of thinking that I can have. And so the department loves you so much and your unions love you so much that they have for the past like five years that this allegation is probably even longer that this allegation has been going on. They've substantiated zero fucking cases because it's impossible to prove, but they get in heat and heat and heat from New York City Council and these fucking leftists that your fucking union keeps giving money to, by the way, that your union that loves you keeps giving money to. And by the way, guess what they did? Oh, you know what? We're going to take this allegation. We're going to give it to CCRB. And now New York City is funding CCRB. They're going to have 13 investigators or whatever it is to work at this racial profiling unit. Garen fucking teed. End of 2023. There are some of you that are going to get subs for racial profiling. And guess what happens to you when that happens? You are mocked the rest of your life wherever you fucking go. And on something because some little fucking dweeb from North Carolina who knows nothing about police work, who's scared of the person that made the allegation against you, who won't even interact with them, has just had a feeling. He just felt like he did. He just felt like he did. And nobody's going to bat for you. You don't even know what's happening, I'm sure. I'm sure that the first of your hearing of this is right here, right now on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. I think the whole ideology of racial profiling is completely subjective. And it, it, and it can be skewed in any manner which, which these politicians want. Sure. If you look just on its surface, if you had no idea, and you looked at my case itself, you looked at Eric and you say, hey, let's look at his arrest. And look at all the interactions that he had as a crime sergeant, as a special operations lieutenant, not knowing the demographics of where I worked and not knowing me and just seeing my name smear in the paper with the most complained cop. You would say he's absolutely a racist cop because I think out of every arrest or every encounter I've had, 
everyone has been black and brown. And that's because of the demographics of where I work. But that is the caveat. That's the little hidden factor that the anti-cop leftist, the anti-rhetoric and anti-sentiment is not provided to the public. We don't tell them that, hey, our cops are strategically positioned in, in, in areas where the demographics do not match them. And they're working to try to address crime and keep the public safe. And unfortunately, the byproduct of being a white white police officer or white super, in any case, in an area like the South Bronx or the 120 priest in Staten Island is that the area is predominantly black and brown. And that's who you're going to interact with. That is going to be predominantly. I mean, honestly, if I was to arrest a white person in South Bronx, it would have been like arresting a unicorn. I'd have no problem doing it, honestly. But it would have been a unicorn, honestly. The only the only white people that we would see are cops and firemen. It's very rare that you actually see a white person at all in the South Bronx. And there's nothing racist about that. It's just factual. I'm just telling the public facts. Honestly, it's just the reality. You you, you just don't see it's not an area where, where where there are white people. It's 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 nothing racist about it. It's just a reality. Facts are racist. Reality is racist. Questions, too. <laughs> okay. Questions are racist. Questions are misinformation. You know? That's what we've You're going to have a... We've I tell you what, John. Morales. What do you think, guy? I think, yeah, I think, I think it's a good time to close it, but I tell you what, you're going to have a lot of nicknames. You're going to be unemployed, misinformation, uh, vaccine nut. What else? Yeah, I gotta get in my next the next episode. I'm gonna get a tinfoil hat. I'm gonna put it on because I'm a conspiracy. <laughs> I'm a conspiracy theorist. Though. That's all right. I, I I've been uh I've been told I'm a proud boy, uh, right wing extremist. I'm like I'm Jewish. Do you guys, <laughs> what are you talking about? But oh well, it's it's nice to you know just look at someone and box them and what you think they are based on their looks. Pretty funny. Absolutely. No, and I, you know, I apologize. I was dead wrong about that vaccine. It worked totally. So, you know, I should have, I should have definitely took it. Huge regret. Well, maybe that's why you're yawning right now. You didn't take the vaccine. If you were taking the vaccine, you would have had your vitamins. I would have been stuck at that shitty job still talking about this, but it just wouldn't have been out to the, the I just wouldn't have been able to broadcast it to a huge platform around the world. So I guess I could thank Mayor Adams for that. I could thank Lou Terco for not giving me any advice and not helping me out. Thank you guys. So I'm going to repay it every day I can. You One know. last thing before we close it. Just wanted to ask you about the incident on the subway with the with the Marine Corps veteran um, who tried to help on the subway and he did apply a chokehold and tragically tragically this mentally ill homeless man did, uh, did succumb to his death. What are your thoughts on Alvin Bragg's next move? Where do you think this is going to go? Because this was, it's determined the homicide, which the public knows. I know everyone freaks out when they hear the word homicide. Homicide just means the, the death at the hands of another. So where do you think this is going to go? Real quick before we sum this up. Like I said, everything's political, right? It's huge who we who we give our money to. It's 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 really... That person shouldn't even have been on the subway platform that day. He shouldn't have been on in the train car that day to interact with that gentleman. That that Marine was just riding the train, trying to go home from work, didn't want to bother anybody. Um, he was accosted that day. He defended himself. Fortunately, the man lost his life. Um, I want to see the toxicology report. I want to see the actual cause of death. 
was the actual cause of death from the chokehold. Now, I believe in self-defense. So if, you know, he was scared for his life and he had him in a chokehold, you're on a train platform and uh, you're on you're on a, a subway car uh, in, in New York City transit and you're choking someone because this guy assaulted you, your adrenaline's flowing, there's people all over you, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, you're the victim that day. I'm sorry. I don't I don't believe that guy woke up that morning to kill anybody. But, you know, what we see, you know, what we're seeing right now, if you look at all the leftists, who some have gotten money from a certain union, um, if you look at what they're, if you look at what they're tweeting, they're all saying the same thing. Murder, 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 murder. Black and brown people get killed at the hands of the police. Murder, 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 murder. Black and brown people get killed at the hands of the police. Alvin Bragg's going to charge him with murder. He's going to, he's going to be arrested. That's my personal opinion. And here's my last question. And uh, I, I, I want to pose this question. What do you think? If we were to super, we were to superimpose this veteran with a picture of a uniform, if we were to superimpose and put him as if he was in a uniform and it was a police officer that applied this chokehold because that was maybe let's, let's give a, a fictitious scenario. Police officers on the subway, he's getting overpowered. And that's the only option that he or she has for survival. If this this guy was in uniform, what do you think would happen today? There'd be riots today on New York City streets. What do you think if he was black? Well, I, I, I it's interesting. If he was black in, in uniform or just, just a black male? No, just a black male who was accosted that day and he choked a black man. The black man died. I have to be honest, and I hope that our viewers and, and, and anyone watches doesn't see this as racist, but I'm going to give you my, my opinion based on experience and my expertise. And you're only going to hear this on this podcast. No one else is going to say this. I have to be honest. I think that he's actually going to be portrayed as a hero and Good Samaritan. I think I, I think you're right. I, oh, I, I don't know if he'll be portrayed as a hero, but you wouldn't hear about it. You wouldn't hear about it in the media. There would be no, there would be no chance of him being convicted. I'll tell you that. I'm not saying convicted. I'm saying even charged. I do believe that this is going to be heavily politicized. You see the lefties out in full blast. They're all, they're coming hard. Black and brown. They're even and and they they were even protesting. What's funny today is they were on the subway platform where the train stopped where he died, and they were yelling "fuck the police." The guy's not a cop. They were chanting "fuck the police." Like it's just this, it's just it, it, it's complete insanity what's going on. Politics matters. The fact that a union wants to get involved in the legislative process and endorse and give money to candidates is good. But they should be the candidates that overwhelmingly support the police. They shouldn't be able to use you as fucking pawns. We unions need to take back their power. They shouldn't be letting people use them and use the patch and use police officers as fucking pawns. Be like, no, but guess why? Remember what you said two years ago? Fuck you now. You got to get reelected. Fuck you. We're not helping you. I don't care. I'm not giving you a dollar and we're not endorsing you. We're not doing anything else for any of you. And I'm not saying even Republican too. I'm not even saying just the Democrats, but these lefties, 100%. I don't care even if they would give you a raise. It's creating a fucking hellscape in New York City, and it's making the New York City Police Department. I mean, it already is. It's not a viable profession. I'll say it again. These kids are going to get shelved 
real early. And by shelf, I don't mean they're going to be put on the shelf in some cushy gig. I mean, it's going to be see you fucking later if you're lucky or you're fired. Or maybe you're in jail. Or maybe you're paying some fucking scale your salary. That this is what's going on now. Listen, I tell you right now, if there was a PBA candidate that was saying exactly what you said right now, fuck them. We're never giving them a dollar. We're not giving anyone any money that doesn't support the police department because there's a connection to the police department and public safety. I would tell the cops, vote for that person right now. Right now. That's your that's that's your new PBA president. That's exactly what I want to hear. And, and I agree goes, with you, John. And that goes for the SBA and the LBA and the CEA too. They haven't done shit either. They fucking they 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 didn't make the, the same donations that the that the PBA did, but they haven't said shit about anything. They haven't said shit about anything. Um they did uh some of them did endorse Zeldin, which they should have. This New York City would be totally different if, if New and New York State would be totally different if Lee Zeldin got in. And I and I think even him, I think he's I think he's soft. I think he's a soft fucking Republican. He's probably half a Democrat anyway. But it would just be a total it would be totally different. It would be a totally different landscape. <laughs> you know what? It's true. And that's the one thing. I, one thing that we always talk about this podcast, we're not we're not saying you ha- you have to hate every lefty and love everyone that's to the right, because I think we're pretty much down the middle, and we call it out all the time, even with the city council. Right? There's six there's six Republicans there, and those and those those six Republicans might as well be registered Democrat because they hang out with these Democrats all day, they vote the same way they are, they they stand by the same policies, so there's no difference. Most of these right-wing guys are complete cucks, and the left-wing, you know what? At least I'll, I don't agree with anything they say. They're complete wackos, but at least they're not afraid to speak their mind. Because the guys on the right, they're just like, oh, okay, you know, let's not say that. Let's be careful. While the lefties are screaming, you know what? You know, just for crazy things. Let's let's defund. Let's abolish the police. Could you imagine? And I ask the public right now. I don't care where you live, New York City. You live in some rural area in South Dakota. Could you imagine there's no police resources for one day? The whole country would shut down. Just car accidents alone. With car accidents and then the police aren't there to keep the peace. Just people getting already frustrated. They got to a car accident. It would be brawls. People would be killing each other in the street. It would be just total gridlock. It would be mayhem. It would be the purge. Yeah, I'll tell you. that All the people riding bikes and all the people that go around and take pictures of all the cop cars. All those people, it would be a real rude awakening that day because they'd be like, "Oh my god, that's what, oh that's what the police did." Could we get them back here right now as they're getting ran over and their ass kicked from everything? Um, it would be a real, you know, I I I hope we never see it. Um, and it, like I said, I am down the middle, but right now when we're talking policing, you cannot be on the left. You, like we're talking policing, we're talking no way. every. Thing that we talk about crime economy people leaving everything happens it's all related to their policies directly related to it fall left policy like you said the, the city council is a bunch of coward i posted something with a baron celebrating it was his great honor that he was the only he said it was my great honor that oh and 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 council member baron charles baron if you don't know he's a devout racist hates white people he covers the most dangerous square mile in the country. Um, so he said it was his great honor that he's the only council member that actually had white people leave his district. He has less white people. It was his great honor. Um, 
And I posted that and I asked, uh, I asked the great conservative lion, Joe Borelli, what are your thoughts on that? And of course, he wouldn't say anything because when uh, Eric Adams said that he was kicking these crackers' asses every day when he was in the NYPD, which I don't know what he was talking about. I mean, he may, maybe they were having fights in the back because if he was talking work-related, that guy wasn't kicking nobody's ass. That guy shouldn't even have got, got to his 20 years. Um, but when he said that, somebody asked Joe Borelli on the air and they caught him off guard and he didn't like it. And they said, what do you think about Eric Adams' statement? You know what he said? I don't. I don't care because I'm not a Karen. So I, I sent the message. I said, no, Joe, you, it's not because you're a Karen that you don't care. It's because you're a coward. You know, <laughs> and, and, and that's what. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's what you meant, coward, Karen. You know. Yeah, it's confusing. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. It is like, no, they won't. They don't say anything. But if I'm going to support somebody, I'm going to support Joe Burrell. Like, I am. I'm not going to support. Uh, like all these people that we're seeing, Justin Brannon, um, the speaker, Adrian Adams, uh, Salamanca, all these That's guys, right. they're not getting money. Mark Levine, Brad Lander, they're not getting my money. They're not getting my money. They don't deserve to get your money. I'm going to go, yeah, he's soft. He's full of shit. I'm still going to go with him. He's not going to go against the police. And I'm going to move, I'm going to move that bar. By letting them know you're not going to take pictures with us. We're not showing up at these naming. We're not playing nice with you on social media. We'll be respectful, but that's it. We're not when we're going to let everybody know. And I would be at those city council hearings. I don't know why our unions aren't. Well said, brother. Absolutely. Uh, right now we're at two hours and 16 minutes. What do you think? Yeah, think, yeah. Let's, think, let's wrap it up. I got to go. I got to. Same here. I know you got to get a brother. Listen, everybody. Thanks for listening. Cops out there, we support you. I'm glad you got some money in your pocket to sigh of relief, but we still got some work to do. You got that discipline matrix. You got an overzealous CCRB. You got a lot of oversight out there. We're helping you, and we're going to continue this fight. No matter what the attacks are for the PBA, we will help you and make sure that you get the best service and best needs that you need. And to the public out there, for viewers out there that are not cops, I hope that you're learning about what is to be NYPD, and hopefully this is infectious to cops around the country, we can start supporting our law enforcement because we need our law enforcement because there is a connection to community. So with that being said, 265 Police Live, John McCarry, thank you, brother. New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast. Have a good night. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, fashion uh, us, fuck him. <laughs>